listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since 1977. everybody, welcome to episode 14 of the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. I'm your host, the Samurai, and across the border from me is my good pal, Big Willie. I have a code. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Large William is a little under the weather this week, so bear with us, or bear oh, with him anyway. I'm, I'm feeling pretty I, good. <laughs> I'm a lot under the fucking weather this week, man. I've been up uh, rubbing vapor rub on myself and doing all sorts of things, lots of uh, oils and gadgets to try and make myself feel better it almost sounds oddly perversely Erotic? sexual somehow <laughs> yeah it did actually in hindsight even the word hindsight sounds perverse in a way <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so i'm gonna i'm gonna apologize up front if i start laughing and end up coughing like an old woman at a bingo parlor who smokes roller own cigarettes <laughs> So that may happen. I apologize. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> All right, so I'll go over a couple of announcements here in the beginning. Uh, I do want to say that our uh, website is now pretty much just ggtmc.com. We're very happy to get rid of the Libsyn part. Uh, not that we don't support Libsyn, because we really do, but we wanted to make sure that you know it was easy for people to access. So now you can just access it at ggtmc.com. And uh, thanks to uh, Big William, Big Willie for that, because he, uh, he fixed that for us. So there you go. Well, thanks to me, but most importantly, thanks to Dylan from Paracinema. Yep, exactly. Yeah, he's the one that kept hounding us about it. And I remember a long time ago that F13 was hounding us about it too. But at the time, we were just getting started, and we just did, we just wanted to get a show out. And uh, now, since we, you know, this is show number 14, uh, actually the 15th show we've put out, I think it was time to actually start looking at some of the other particulars that go with podcasting. So, so we finally got that under control. So no more lip sense. It's ggtmc.com. You can find us, and you can vote for us over there on Podcast Alley. Which, if any of you listen out there haven't voted for us, please uh, do so. We it's been a, it's been a rough uh, month in on Podcast Alley for uh, the well, the sister shows and us, it's been, uh, we've been behind film junk the whole month and, uh, uh, we need to be on top or near the top and you need to vote for us. And you know, the other two sister shows, we always want to stay on top and I mean, you can vote for anybody you want to vote for, but I mean, I'm, I'm going to push us first and then, you know, Cinema Diabolica and outside the cinema as well. So make sure you get over there and vote for us. Uh, we're neck and neck with the uh, Cinema Diabolica as of this morning, I believe. Yeah, we absolutely are. And you got to vote for the menage as you coined the phrase. <laughs> the menage a trois. Yeah, the menage needs to stay on the top. <laughs> exactly. A lot of sexual talk in the intro this morning. Also, <laughs> want to go over, uh, you know, join our Facebook group. It's, uh, again, still booming. I think we were up to 180 members this morning, so uh, nice. we still got a nice push out of the Facebook group. The MySpace page, don't have as many over there, but if you're still a MySpacer, you know, you can find us at myspace.com slash the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema. We're over there. Your friend is over there. Also, the Pop Syndicate forums, popsyndicate.com slash forums. Uh, head over there, join up. Uh, I know I saw we had a new member the other day uh sir crocodile or something like that and i'd never seen him before or her so i'm assuming it's a him so but i don't want to put my foot in my mouth so yeah that was a new new face over there i don't know if you saw that person over there but that was a new one i hadn't seen that one before so nor had i and i think they have a young michael corleone as their um as their avatar i have a suspicion it may 
be someone I know, but I don't know for sure. I think a few more posts from them would, would indicate that. Well, they feel special right now because we're talking about them in the intro. So, so they should. <laughs> we feel special that they were on the boards. Yeah, anybody that signs up and joins up, part of the board, you know, you can interact with uh, two uh, wannabe celebrities who are just two dudes that sit in their rooms and talking to a microphone. <laughs> in their pajamas. Yeah, about oils and lotions and vapor rub. So and hind and hind hindsights. Yeah, and hindsights. <laughs> Chocolate starfish. Things like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that being said, also you can uh, I want you guys to make sure you check out uh Paracinema magazine over paracinema.net, uh Dylan and Christine. Uh, again they put out that, you know, a great product and we definitely support it. Uh again we thank Dylan for, you know, pushing us to go the ggtmc.com uh, route and he's been great to us and we plan on being great to him in the future, even though I don't know what that sounds like or means, but whatever, we'll We'll reciprocate. Yeah, there you go. Uh, also, Sean's website, horrorcommentary.com. Uh, I know I keep talking about that interview, which I was going to answer those questions last night and totally forgot about it. And <laughs> here I am another I week recording and we still haven't done it. So we'll have to get that over to him very soon. We will. I think it should be a New Year's resolution <laughs> to get it done <laughs> as soon as possible. Because, yeah, I've been ping-ponging the ideas around in my head what I want to write down for the answers. And, gosh, life just like, has just been getting in the way and it's been such a simple thing. And we were kind of uh, heckling him to, hey, geez, Sean, come on, why aren't we? We, uh, why don't we have an interview? Da, 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 da. And then, you know, we sit on a thing like fucking assholes for a month. So Yeah, so we apologize, Sean. I, I, I know I've talked to him a couple times over the PlayStation Network, and, or at least once, and, uh, you know, I, I feel bad because we were hounding him first. But uh, that also being said, uh, yeah, check out Sean's site, horrorcommentary.com. Uh, maybe we will get that interview over there before, well, not before the new year. I wouldn't get bank on that, but probably sometime in January. Yes. Uh, also, our voicemail line is 206-666-5207. Uh, give us a voice. Give us a holler. Okay, also our... Our emails, uh, our emails, just going to be sent to uh, midnightcinema@gmail.com. Again, I, th- I believe the donorschoose.org thing is still going on. Uh, I don't know when the end time is for that, but as of right now, it's still going on. So if, if you guys hear this and it's still going on, head over to our website and uh, go ahead and donate whatever you can. Uh, also, you can go over to popsyndicate.com, and there's a way to donate over there as well. So it's, it's the Pop Syndicate fundraiser, and it is a good cause. So if you guys can spare a little change, go ahead. And uh, that's about all I got for the opening here. I'm wondering if I'll forget anything. Uh, last week, we forgot to mention what we were covering this week. Uh, so I put it on the boards, but for some of you who don't go to the boards, you might want to know what we are covering. This is a listener content episode, uh, Fake Shimp from the boards, uh, one last uh, month. And uh, he picked uh, two very interesting films, uh, 1985's Trancers, starring Tim Thomerson, and uh, 1988, I believe, uh, Return of the Killer Tomatoes, starring one George Clooney with a lot of hair. <laughs> oh, a lot. That's quite the main. But I'm sure we'll get into the main uh, once we get into the tomatoes. Yep, <laughs> once we get into the tomatoes. <laughs> yes, uh, this is Fake Ship Show, and uh, he picked some really good films, so we're definitely going to talk about them. So that's all I got for the opening. You got anything you'd like to add? Uh, no, just to say it's Fake, fake Shemp from Lansing, not East Lansing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right, not East Lansing. <laughs> and we'll hear from Fake Shemp. He's got several names, but most of you people will be able to figure out who he is. So, All right, so with all that being said, we'll go to first break, and we'll come back with our first review. Ah, you kids today with your internet porn, discussion forums, and illegal movie torrents. At CinemaDiabolica.com, we've got something way better than all that. We've got overly opinionated, offensive commentary on films that we more than likely didn't pay for. I guess you could say it's like the entire internet all on one site. Except not. Yo, son, CinemaDiabolica.com is like the whole internet on one site. Except not. Holla. CinemaDiabolica.com 
right, we are back. A little Frankie Valley action there. Yes, uh, that's the Paluski re-edit of uh, Frankie Valley's Begging. Did a great, great job on it. Nice. I think it's the second time Frankie Valley's showing up on our show. I think he showed up on. Uh, well, I put a little bit of grease in one of the episodes. Oh yes. <laughs> Who'd have thought that Frankie Valley would have been the the first artist to be featured musically on our show twice? Kind of amazing. I didn't even think about that until just now. <laughs> yeah, that is kind of awesome. I like Frankie Valley though for what it's worth. I just didn't think he'd uh, pop up twice before. You know, the Cash Man or. Or, you know, uh, anyone, really. Yeah, several others, yeah. Let's go ahead and jump into our first film, which is 1985's Trancers, directed by one Charles Band, who uh, most people will know from uh, Full Moon. I would uh, guess Full Moon Video from the late 80s, early 90s. I don't know how many people really know about that, but Full Moon released a lot of straight-to-video stuff during the VHS heydays, and uh, so hopefully a lot of people are familiar with that. Uh, I guess I'll kick it over to you for a plot synopsis. You want to do the plot synopsis for this one? Yeah, I'd be glad to. All right, now I haven't read this ahead of time because we didn't really pick either film ourselves i guess i should have but uh okay here we go jack death is a kind of cop slash bounty hunter in the bleak los angeles of the future he's become obsessed with chasing whistler an evil criminal who uses powerful hypnotic powers to convert people into zombie-like creatures known as trancers whistler has managed to escape through time travel and is loose in 1980s christmas la but death (laughs) is hot on his trail nice i guess i wonder if i wonder if uh fake chimp knew that this was almost like a christmas movie (laughs) for the season (laughs) i think I think he did mention it when he said it to us that it takes sort of it is sort of timely because it would be a Christmassy kind of movie. I think he did mention that because I liked what he did with his films was he didn't make them an obvious um, sort of an obvious uh, pairing. Like both yeah. these movies feature a list uh, Hollywood stars in very early schlocky roles. Uh-huh. So I guess I'll go ahead and get us started on this one. Uh, again, it is directed by Charles Band. Uh, we'll go over a little bit more about what he directed in a few here. Okay, so Trancers is basically a little bit of everything. It's a science fiction. It's a time travel. It's uh, well, evidently it's a Christmas movie. It's uh, <laughs> a little bit of a zombie action. I guess would be the right way. To, I mean, I think the Trancers themselves are like zombies, didn't you? Um, they're zombies in sort of the way that they, you know, they sort of reminded me of, in a way, um, the vampire an Omega Man, kind of. Oh, okay. Yeah, I see where you're A little you're going. bit. Not, I mean, not in terms of, you know, sensitivity to light or anything, just kind of on the fringe. Yeah, yeah sort of a zombie-ish kind of thing, but I mean, they were still lucid, they still talked and stuff, but yeah, their their look, I guess, was sort of zombie-esque. Yeah, I mean, they had that kind of that feel, and they kind of would, uh, you know, they had like a scream, a certain kind of scream and stuff, and anyway, this film, this is one of those films where they kind of take that, uh, I don't know what the, I can't remember the name of the author right now, maybe it was Raymond Chandler or Dashiell Hammett, one of those guys that kind of a, you know, that uh, private eye who, you know, smokes too much drinks too much is a loner drives a classic car that kind of thing <laughs> that's tim thomerson's character trooper jack death in this film he and he also sports the trench coat with uh some uh, shoulder pads he must have borrowed from brian bosworth <laughs> <laughs> from his oklahoma playing days not even uh just from his 80s blazers yeah yeah uh, these, these shoulder pads are impressive it's one of the first things i wrote down in my notes was shoulder pads <laughs> but i forget that uh well i remember females wearing shoulder pads a lot in the 80s but i don't remember dudes wearing them but whatever i mean you know i guess in the future of whatever year that was we'll be wearing shoulder pads everywhere we go 2285 i guess it would have been or something. Well, maybe we won't be around then no, the, the film does star uh tim thomerson who some people will know from 
a couple of films, I guess. I mean, he played the dad in Iron Eagle. Uh, I can't remember what else he's been in, but he, he's, he's kind of one of those faces. He actually played the dad in Near Dark as well. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's got one of those faces. Kind of a character actor. Used to be a stand-up comedian. Uh, he's in a comedy I like from the 80s a lot called Take This Job and Shove It, which is a pretty good uh, kind of a redneck comedy. With uh, I think it was the first film to feature Bigfoot, the monster truck. So I think he drives Bigfoot in that movie. So Oh, nice. Yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a, not a really great film, uh about you know i think it's about making beer and racing monster trucks so you can kind of tell what kind of film it is from that <laughs> might be might be something the gentleman cover in the future <laughs> it does sound like gentleman material it does <laughs> so yeah but he was really good in that and uh you know he's just got one of those faces uh also has uh helen hunt in it one of her earlier roles uh Looking very young, wouldn't you say? Looking very young, but I I think looking very good. It's not Helen Hunt in this, it's Helen Fox. <laughs> yeah. Because she looks really cute in this. She's probably about 21, 22, and, and looking mighty fine. Yeah, yeah, she does look really nice. Uh, that's really about, as far as the stars, that's really about the main stars of the film. Uh, I know we've, uh, we've got Art Lafleur in here, who uh, we can either talk about him now, or you want to talk about him when you go over it. <laughs> Um, well, let's, I guess let's mention Art Lafleur now. <laughs> okay, Artie Lafleur here. I'll claim Artie. Uh, it's funny, we, we, he's got one of those faces that, uh, we were talking about this just a little bit before we started recording it. He's one of those faces, you know, that you're seeing, you're like, oh, it's that guy. It's, he's definitely one of them. We, we cover a lot of films where it's, oh, that guy. Uh, but Art Lafleur was actually in another film we covered, uh, Cobra, uh, saying the immortal line, as, uh, Big Willie reminded me of, uh, bring in the Cobra. <laughs> so, uh, Art Lafleur, if you guys remember who that guy is, uh, if not, look up his imdb credits you'll find him on there i don't even know how many credits he's got do you know uh i do have it in front of me i just have to scroll down so that should tell you something he's got well he's got uh, 73 tv credits and he's got 55 movie credits so what's that quick math 128 or something i don't know yeah 128 130 something like that yeah this guy's got a lot of credits. He's just, he shows up in everything. Everything and anything. TV, movies, it doesn't matter. I promise you, all of you have seen him before. He just he doesn't look like an Art Lafleur. He looks Italian to me. Yeah, he was just recently in Speed Racer, oddly enough. Yeah. He was one of the announcers in Speed Racer, so. Yeah. I mean, he still pops up in new stuff, so, I mean, it's, it's amazing to me. I'm just looking, I'm scrolling through his credits right now, too. I'm like, wow. This, and I know this makes for good podcasting, listening to us scroll through credits. Of Art Lafleur, no less. <laughs> oh, he was in Death Warrant with uh, uh, John With Van Damme. With Van Damme, the prison one, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was the prison one, one. Where, he, where he fought the Sandman. Yeah, that was a good one. I like that. I actually have it on VHS. Our film here. Yeah, but anyway, Art LaFleur, you can uh, you can definitely check out his credits and see a lot. Uh, I'll go back to Charles Band here. Now, Charles Band, more known for being a producer than a director. I think he did direct like 31 movies. Uh, of all, of these 31, uh, one of them is one of my favorite guilty pleasures from a child. It's called Metal Storm, The Destruction of Jared Sin, uh, which I've been trying to get a hold of forever. It's a good little post-apocalyptic, almost uh, Italian-looking film. It's got uh, Bull, or Richard Mole, I should say, from... Uh, uh, Night Court and, and uh, such uh, classics as that. I can't remember what else he's been in, but he's been in a lot. Oh, Bull. You're yeah, Bull. Bull? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he did one called The Dungeon Master, which has a lead singer from Wasp and Blackie Lawless. Oh, Blackie Lawless. I have that on VHS. You can see where he started his straight-to-video, though. Like, Trancers was like the first full moon film, I think, and then after that, it was there's a ton of them. Uh, Dr. Mordred, uh, Dollman versus Demonic Toys, that kind of material. That's pretty much what you get. Evil Bong in 2006. Which actually has, I think, Tim Thomerson playing Jack Death. Nice. Nice. I might have to go check out Evil Bong. Looks a little little beyond what I would check out, but if there's some death <laughs> in it, maybe I would. I, I Anything that, that's that, it's that to me 
sounds like a trauma film. Yeah. I'm not a big trauma fan, so I don't know. But if there's some death, maybe I'll check it out. I don't know. That's a, the Ginger Dead Man films. He uh, produced, he directed the first one, produced the second, the, sec, the second and third one. The second one being called Passion of the Crust. And the third oh, one being called Saturday Night Cleaver. Oh, so, boy. Quality material. So that gives you kind of an idea of Charles Band. I mean, he makes inexpensive movies and stuff. But this is actually, going back to transfers, this is actually, uh, you know, a quality 76 minutes of filmmaking. Uh, I would say uh, it never really drags too much, do you think? No, uh, I don't think it does drag. It is reasonably pacey. And it's like you and I always say, when we talk about genre filmmaking or low-budget filmmaking, it's important to keep it under 90 minutes um, mm-hmm. so it retains its pace. And no, this one does. I I mean, I have a few problems with it. I'll get into later on, but yeah, for the most part, it's it's not a boring film. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, no, it's not. It's not a boring movie. And I think the the key there is is that it is only seventy six minutes. Because me and you talked that even if it had been ten minutes longer, I don't know if it would have worked. I mean, it's one of those really really delicate situations where the running time is really key to the entertainment factor. Well, absolutely, because the budget uh, you only have so much money, and you can only stretch that so thin. So you have to figure uh, the budget you have. Let's say it's two million or or whatever it is. Uh, stretch that out over eighty minutes you know how much you're getting a minute you know and yep. if you have a big a big set piece uh, even by you know relative standards you know you're going to blow 20 minutes worth of stuff so it's very important to be mindful of the budget you have and what you're working with uh, when making a film like this to ensure you're getting the bang for your buck and to keep it pacey yeah and this film does stay you know basically it's a chase film or a hunting uh, I guess like a hunting prey or hunt prey type film uh, you know with Helen Hunt and Tim Thomerson again this goes back to what we were talking about that weird thing that we seem to run into where at some point the hero has the reluctant girl with him and uh, they're riding in a convertible. This has happened now. This is the third time this has happened. This is uh, happened in Rolling Thunder. It happened in uh, Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia, and now it's happened in Trancers, which I can see us mentioning Rolling Thunder and Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia in the same sentence, but throwing in Trancers in there, it's kind of kind of strange when you think about it. <laughs> well, no, you, you, you really wouldn't. But uh, here we are mentioning it alongside those two. I think the only difference is this convertible is black, not red. Yeah, yeah. It's an old T-bird, and uh, that goes to a scene that we were talking about and laughing about was that there's a scene where Helen Hunt and Tim Thomerson are riding and they're doing some exposition, expositionary dialogue and moving the story along and Thomerson's driving and uh, wow, is he really working that steering wheel? I mean, I mean, no, most movies, you know, we know that the cars are being pulled along by a camera rig, but Jesus, I mean, he could have acted like he was driving the car a little bit. It was almost like, to give you a visual, it's almost like uh, on The Price is Right when they have to pull the uh, the big wheel there. Yeah. I mean, he's just giving her on this wheel. That car is driving awful straight, and yet he is he is going to town on that wheel. <laughs> it's like that, what is it, Audi, I think, has that um, that equal balance uh, weight-shifting uh, technology. It's almost like they had that to compensate for, for death's uh, <laughs> steering. There's overacting, and then there's overacting when it comes to fake driving. And Thomerson might rule the roost right now with the overacting of fake driving. <laughs> I think he does. And, you know, it's funny, I want to mention it before we get off that scene. You get this so much in films like this or really in any sort of action-y kind of film but talking about the exposition when Helen Hunt's character because Tim Thomerson picks her up and, and I'll get to the scene where he meets her uh, a little bit later but this particular scene they're in the car and, and uh, Death is trying to explain to Lena the character uh, he's from the future and all this stuff and blah 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 and she, you know she has that line that always gets said in these films where she goes okay so suppose I believe that you were from the future and da 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 it's like that line always shows up in the, these kind of films don't you find? Yes yes 
You know, well, I mean, it's a it's a good way for the other character to you know kind of get the audience like you know the audience knows that he's from the future, right? Because we've already bought into all that. And of course, like, you know, we got to see lasers, which we'll talk about lasers here again in a few minutes. But and we know he's from the future, and so you know we need a character that doesn't believe him. So I guess the audience can kind of be like, "Come on, chick, man, he's from the future." You know, I, I guess you always get that. So you know, the audience will buy in, and then buy her character being skeptical. There you go. She's very skeptical of all what Jack Death or she calls him Phil because evidently he was Phil in 1980s, uh, <laughs> even though he looks just like Tim Thomerson. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, she, uh, you know, she has to buy in, so she has to be skeptical. So I guess the audience, the audience is already not skeptical. We already know he's from the future, right? So, so I guess we need that skepticism from her side. So when she does eventually buy in, we feel like this kind of rush of, oh, hey, yeah, she bought in, which doesn't take her much to buy in. She kind of drives off and leaves him and then comes back and she bought it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, exactly. Saved him from tanning bed death. Yeah, and it, that was a. I listen. I tanned a lot uh, living in the city. It was uh, something a lot of. Uh, I, I'll admit it. I used to be a metrosexual kind of guy, Gino, and uh, <laughs> I used to go tanning a lot. I still tan from time to time. Let's face it. Everyone looks better with a little tan. And I have never seen a tanning bed that would sear or scorch clothing. The way this t- this stand up tanning bed did that uh, the Jack Death was stuck in. Yeah, that's a deadly tanning bed to say the least. Yeah, this fucking this like this slightly roided up uh, '80s version of Jay Moore throws him in there. <laughs> All right, so I'll go back over Tim Thomerson some more. Uh, we talked about this before, but uh, did you get the feeling that the whole time Thomerson was uh, acting that maybe he was a little constipated, like maybe he needed to take a crap? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's you know I I think it's one of those performances that I'm not sure if Thomerson was in on the joke in a sense. I, I said this too. This is a weird film because it's one of those ones that is either very aware of what it is, almost like a Starship Troopers and kind of coy, and everyone has fun and plays along. Uh, and Thomerson seems that way, almost like a Bruce Campbell. I could see Bruce Campbell in this kind of role. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's got that Bruce. It's got Bruce Campbell written all over it. Really, it really does. And I could see it sort of being like that. He's aware of the material, but is it that, or is it that Tim Thomerson's just uh, you know, a bit of a clunkier actor who just chews scenery very, very well, but very clunkily. Right. Yeah. I think somebody forgot. Remember what you always say? Somebody forgot to give him the memo and tell yeah. Thomerson that he wasn't trying to go for an award with this performance. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Because he 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 brings the intensity. Oh yeah, he does. I mean, he really does. And uh, I think somebody gave him too much emodium and. Uh, <laughs> He really needed some prune juice. That's probably what, especially in the the future scenes. Future scenes, he's this you know this old tired private dick, and uh, which reminds me of that great scene of him uh, diving in the uh, city that's underwater, Los Angeles that's underwater. How'd you oh, like God. that scuba suit he had on? <laughs> How did you like the scuba suit with the props or matte painting of sunken Los Angeles? <laughs> oh yeah, that was a nice painting. <laughs> Oh, it was awesome. I like the it, scuba helmet because it was just like a bike helmet with a visor. And I was like, well, I guess it can just handle underwater pressure really easily. Yeah, in the future, motorcycle helmets double as scuba diving gear in the 23rd century. <laughs> Good stuff. It's almost like you talked about his, um, his having to take a dump face. It's almost <laughs> like Steven Seagal. This, Tim Thomerson is the grandfather of that school, and Seagal was influenced by that. <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is true. Seagal is known notoriously for that type of uh, acting. The scowl of, oh, the, man, I got to take a crap. Yeah, or who farted, as you said. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> other than that, I'll go over a few. There, I have another note here, but it's really going to be my make or break and my MVT, so I'm not going to go over that right now. I'll just wait until we get to the end. But I go for a couple of lines in the film that I thought were funny. Uh, there's one where he uh, gets attacked by a trancer that is uh, dressed up as Santa Claus, and uh, there's a great line with an old lady who says, Security, we've got trouble at the North Pole. Oh, yeah. Which I, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> and... Uh, 
there's another scene where Thomerson plays a uh, a drunk. He's trying to hide from some cops, and he plays a drunk. Oh, and yeah. they they ask him a question. And he goes, "Can I get some sleep? It's fucking Christmas." <laughs> <laughs> it's a great line, yeah. man. <laughs> it was just so over the top, so over the top. You know, he like he, he crawled in there, put the hat on, and yeah, oh, that was good. He's like, "It's fucking Christmas." Is this hilarious? And then, of course, my favorite line he says is when he puts some stuff in his hair and he looks over to her and goes, "Dry hair is for squids." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I was just starting to think, you know, in a sort of an Alyssa from the Big Red Podcast inspired moment, I'm like, I think he has some nice hair when it's not slicked back with uh, Brill Cream. Oh, yeah. He's a, he's, a, he's got a full head of hair, Thomerson does, some really thick hair. Yeah. And uh, in the future, he's got dark hair and a scar. When he comes back and plays Phil, he's got kind of a light sandy blonde, a little bit of gray uh, type of look. But, you know, he has to throw some cream in there to slick it back because, as he says, dry hair is for squids. So evidently all transfers have dry hair because he calls transfers squids, whatever, whatever that means. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure either. It seems to me fan. though. It, it seems to me though. If you if you were a squid, you wouldn't have dry hair. That that's just uh, a weird metaphor to me. <laughs> yeah, I concur. <laughs> other than that, the other note I have here is uh, how about the motorcycles? They say we're going to hop on these motorcycles. I'm pretty sure those were scooters. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that you're correct. <laughs> they 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 start these scooters up and they sound like these big hogs. <laughs> oh, they do. They really, like they got really these do. long straight pipes on them, and they you know like this is really loud like a biker gang. And it's only two little motor scooters, and they're hauling ass on these motor scooters too and you know i've driven scooters before i know they only go about 40 miles an hour they're running from cops in them there's a scene where i'm not giving anything away to plot point but there's a scene where helen hunt drives through a uh, window which is uh, the weirdest apartment in the world because it's one room and uh, she's driving down an alley and, uh, and all of a sudden she drives through a window and somebody's some old man's decorating his christmas tree and then she just drives right out his front door and says she's sorry i love that scene i never if someone had have said to me would you imagine you would see helen hunt drive through a, a glass window of an apartment on a motorbike or a scooter in this case and drive out the front door I would have thought you're fucking kidding me this has never happened in a film and I love that scene. The guy's wearing like a like his house coat, and yeah, he's just kind of having a sort of a Christmassy. Uh, yeah, he's, Christmas he's got like an eggnog there. He's just kind of chilling. Yeah, the smallest yeah. apartment in the history of uh, cinema, though. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's like it makes a bachelor look like uh, like Wayne Manor. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty great. I mean, I did not expect. I don't even know why this scene was in there. It's like a little comedy and a little uh, a little uh, stunt work all mixed in, and it just didn't fit in with the rest of the movie. But I always thought it was kind of funny. I really like that, and it, you know, it, you look at even stuff that that was a cliche. I think in the 80s action movies and the chase scenes was someone would pop up in an apartment and run through you know, the good guy or the bad guy like like in Predator 2 when uh, it's actually a great bit when um, the Predator shows up in the old woman's apartment and she ends up trying to she has a broom in her hand you remember that scene? Uh, yes, yes I remember that <laughs> Yeah, that, that was a big cliche uh, in the 80s act always that there was always the someone coming to the apartment unexpectedly But that's really about all I got for notes so I'll go ahead and kick it over to you and see what you got Okay um, I have lots of notes as per usual. Uh, right off the hop, the f- I, I always love that sort of uh, futuristic retro look. Um, you know, it's kind of yeah. got that 50s or that Art Deco-y kind of look uh, with sort of a, combined with a futuristic look. Yeah, no, I, I like it too. Uh, it's an interesting look. Uh, the they, they have that stock, those stock like laser lights that they always have in these movies when they have a lab. Yeah. <laughs> which are kind of interesting. And uh, yeah, no, I, I liked it. I like the, uh, the Art Deco kind of look and uh, it kind of goes well with the shoulder pads. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it really does. And you know, it's like the first scene of the film, I thought that this was going to be a real big sort of... Well, I think there's no getting around the fact that it's inspired by Blade Runner, although it does sort of turn away from that. Because in, right in the beginning, you got sort of that diner. I think there's sort of jazzy music playing. There's a voice.
voiceover, and uh, Jack Death kind of looks like a, a Decker kind of character with the great trench coat. Yes, yes. Although he throws a hell of a punch. You notice whenever he throws a punch, he like freezes in the in the punch pose for like two seconds after he throws the punch. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, like um, you know when you see a quarterback on the fall through like his arm. Yeah, it just it stays there for a few seconds. Again, nobody told Thomerson. Uh, nobody seen the memo. It was like we're not shooting this in slow motion, so you don't have to act like you're acting in slow motion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, that's exactly it. Uh, but no, he does throw a hell of a punch. I don't know. I mean, I thought Thomerson had a pretty good look for the role. Even my wife had said that. She thought he looked like Mel Gibson with Antonio Banderas's hair. Yeah. Like an older Mel Gibson. You know, he has a good look for the part. I thought the quote-unquote special effects in the film... We're entertaining. I mean, it, you know, anyone who's seen Repo Man uh, near the end, you remember the part uh, when the car gets, uh, I can't remember if it gets taken away by the aliens or, is that, I, think that's, I think that's what happens. It gets taken away or, yeah. or something and it has that green light around it. Mm-hmm. Those are the kind of special effects you see throughout this film. And this film, to use sort of a bizarre analogy, some films try and hide the fact that they're low budget and they overreach. But this one overreaches a little bit uh, with the special effects and doesn't try and hide it. It just stacks them in. Right. You know, there's right. all sorts of special effects in this film and it's almost like an unattractive girl who's down for a good time and she has no qualms about kind of flaunting her body you know wearing skimpy clothes that's what this film's like you know with the special effects like it'll just you know it, it knows it's uh, it's kind of low budget and it just rolls with it and, and uh, you know allows them to kind of play out anyway yeah yeah uh, the, the special effects is, the old saying would be these special effects are pretty special <laughs> yeah yeah exactly the black girl in the film she I think she was sort of like a doc not a doc like a scientist I think of sorts uh-huh. yeah, um, some type of research scientist or time travel expert of some type she looked really really familiar to me and i looked her up and she hadn't done anything i don't think that i'd ever seen yeah she's been in a few things that i think i've seen but i think it's been tv related so i don't know if it's really anything to go into detail about but no no i just thought i'd ask you if you knew knew of anything because i looked and i didn't see anything that that popped up but she has a familiar face i'll look through her credits while you're talking here and see if i notice her see if you know there's anything we might have noticed her from okay uh next thing of course this takes place in the 80s and as is with most sort of 80s uh, upscale apartments. It's all white with a telescope at the window. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. That well, scene. Why do we always have the telescope? Is that is that is that one of those things like you were talking about earlier? What white people like? <laughs> yeah. Well, always a telescope at the window. <laughs> yeah. It's like even uh, Patrick Bateman in uh, in his apartment in American Psycho has the the telescope that matches the paint on the wall. You know, <laughs> overlooking Central Park or overlooking you know whatever it is. But always in eighties apartments, uh, there's always a telescope. White people do like the the telescopes <laughs> overlooking their uh, the, the view, I guess. Yeah, there's no um, film. There's no films for Telma Hopkins. That's her name, Telma Hopkins. But uh, looks like she was on uh, a lot of TV shows. But uh, here is an interesting uh, tidbit. She was born in Louisville, Kentucky. Nice. So how about that? That's a little bit of serendipity there. Well, then that that would mean that between her and uh, the hunk that's in Return of the Killer Tomatoes, that yes. <laughs> Kentuckians are featured prominently in both films. Yes, uh, Clooney's a Northern Kentuckian, but he's only about. I think he grew up only about uh, only about an hour from where I'm at right now. So yeah. I, can, I don't stuff. know if Fake Shimp knew that. How about that? I didn't know that until just now. That's genius. If it was, if if he did know, that was a very genius move on his part. It was. Next time, it better be two Canadians, man. I want like <laughs> I want like Alan Thick and someone in a movie. Alan uh, Thick and Chris Jericho. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That would be an awesome movie. That would be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Thick's sort of the cop. He's about to retire. He's got one week left. And Jericho's the plays by his own rules. Uh, wild. He plays hair. by his own rules when he's not playing heavy metal in his band on the bars <laughs> on the weekend. <laughs> there <you> yeah. Go. <laughs> There's something you didn't mention. <clears throat> 
I don't know. Are we going to talk about the long second now, or are you going to bring uh, it up later? That will come up in my make okay. or break. I'll leave it then. <laughs> we'll talk about the long second then. Uh, you spoke how there was the convertible uh, with the sort of unwitting woman along for the ride, which is a uh, Peckinpah kind of uh, touch. I thought the Peckinpah-esque shooting of Santa Claus was pretty awesome. <laughs> yes. I know. What <laughs> These uh, slow motion death scenes and movies that I do not expect—I don't even know what the hell's going on. <laughs> oh yeah, it was—it was awesome. You see Santa get gunned down. It's sort of slow mo, like a peck and paw shot, which was, which was pretty wild. What else do I got here? There's a few good lines that Tim Thomerson delivers real well. There's one when he goes into that tanning salon and he says to the the roided up Jay Moore lookalike, uh, "Nice tan, very Christmassy." Which, uh, <laughs> what the hell does that line even mean? <laughs> well, I, <laughs> there we go. I think <coughs> if I had calling. to guess what the Thomerson meant was that it's just preposterous that at this time of year, someone would be so bronze during the Christmas season. I don't know, but I do know it it's It is great awesome. the way he says it. He's like, nice tan, very Christmassy. Yeah, just again, he's got this great kind of... Uh, deadpan kind of dry delivery again that kind of reminded me of a Bruce Campbell type thing like there's another line he says and actually there's a couple lines uh, there's a scene when uh, he goes with Helen Hunt because Helen Hunt's into punk music yes <laughs> and uh, we go to this punk rock club and uh, one of her ex-boyfriends I think is talking to uh, Helen Hunt and he says to him beat it Hiawatha this is my dance <laughs> And uh, But even before that, there's an awesome line where uh, they get to the club and Thomerson looks around. He's kind of confused because punk music is obviously a relic of uh, the 20th century. Right. And uh, he goes, what does he say? He says, uh, oh, no, Helen Hunt says to him, let's dance. And he goes, are you kidding? This looks like a room full of trancers. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He does eventually dance, which is hilarious, by the way. Oh, yes. I was just waiting. I thought, oh, is this motherfucker going to dance to this music? Because I got him. <laughs> My eyes were glued. Like, that felt like the long second to me, yes. waiting to see him. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't see him actually dance because I'm like, is this guy gonna have the nuts to <laughs> start getting down in this fucking punk music or what? So. It's got that '80s thing too of uh, neon lights everywhere. You know, I mean, in the club there's neon lights everywhere, and in the apartment there's neon lights. It's one of those things where neon lights are everywhere. There is neon everywhere, and I wrote that down. And I miss neon actually. I like neon. Yeah, I mean, it it adds some kind of like. Well, it definitely dates the movie for the '80s. I mean, there's no doubt about that. You see it, and you're like, okay, this is an '80s movie because no. Nobody has neon in their apartments in their base anymore, I should say. But uh, yeah, they—it's really interesting to me. All the neon and it really, really took me back to being a young man. Oh yeah, yeah, it's it's great, and you know, yeah, it does sort of put it in the time. And I, I love that that they do the film where they travel back in time to 1985. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like when we covered Hands of Steel, is it, it took place in the or with a lot of those Italian post-apocalyptic apocalyptic films it takes place in the not too distant future. Yes, the you not know, so, too distant future. So they can get away with kind of rigging up a laser and and the odd thing here and there uh mm-hmm. but otherwise you know they don't need to, to dress up the set too much a couple more notes i have very quickly here i thought whistler was a lame name for a villain whistler <laughs> it was it would have been awesome if he would have whistled <laughs> yeah if he had been sort of I mean, anytime he kind of snuck up on someone you could hear the. it's almost like a, a harmonica in uh, once upon a time in the west if he just it's, whistled uh, and then you'd see him and he'd come up and you knew shit was going to go down yeah no no he, he had a great face for a bad guy but oh, the did. name the name was terrible yeah he had a great look for one of those sleazy yeah sleazy bad guys that would just throw his girlfriend to the wolves to get away from the good guy right right you know no he really did um i don't know if you noticed this i thought this was odd and it was clearly a sign of the times 
and I don't want to get into too much about this issue because it's, it's probably a bit of a sensitive thing, but I thought that it was something you wouldn't see today is that during the first time we see the long second, you see Helen Hunt's character is wearing a jean jacket and she has a Confederate flag on the back. Yeah, and again, it's not something I wanted to bring up because it could mean different things to different people. I know, you know, being Canadian, my impression is some people... Um, I don't know if worship's the right word, but they they wave it proudly for, in my opinion, the wrong reasons. And some people, I think, maybe wave it proudly for the right reasons because they're proud to be from right. the South. Um, but I, that's, you know, that's not really what our show is. So I don't want to get into a, a big issue where maybe people misinterpret um, what I'm trying to say. I, I just thought that it was odd. Or you wouldn't see that nowadays uh, in a movie where sort of this lovable little, uh, little vixen had a... A confederate flag on her jean jacket right right yeah you would not see it nowadays and what else do i got here a couple more things there's a part where jack death lights a match off his tooth to light his cigarette <laughs> <laughs> again with the matches and mouse what is it with all these movies we watch with the uh, matchsticks and people using their mouths and carrying matchsticks in their mouths what the hell man oh yeah it's like uh yeah colbretti had one uh tequila has one and uh with chow yun fat there um in the great silence he had one in his mouth uh yes no exactly <laughs> and the thing with Thomerson, I laughed when I saw it because I, I was actually wrapping some presents with my wife. And she saw, I thank God she saw the, the match lighting with the tooth because I didn't. She goes, oh, my God. And I knew as soon as she said that I missed something awesome. Right? So I'm like, well, what happened? What happened? She goes, oh, you got to rewind it. So I rewound it and I saw that. And I'm like, oh, fuck it, man. How many takes did it take for this asshole to pull this off? Like, did he have sulfur on the back of his tooth for days? I mean. Yeah. His face know. his face was pretty rough. He probably could have just lit it off his face to use that old uh, tough guy connotation <laughs> there <laughs> yeah yeah exactly what do i got here there was the 80s alleyway kind of chase scene which you see in a lot of films too other than that the one sort of critique i would say of the film i'd mentioned earlier you'd said it's a we'd said it's it's short and kind of punchy pacey i did want to see more trancers though i did want to see more action more um more more violence i guess or more action because this is a film that thomerson feels like a very and this feels like a very american film but at the same time i think if you had got someone like margaretti or bruno Mattei or someone like that and maybe you put Saxon as Whistler and maybe Chris Connolly as Jack Death or I don't know whomever and you kind of ramp up the insanity uh, this could have been in the same class as like a Raiders of Atlantis you know what I mean right right yeah this <laughs> now I, I've seen Trancers before but it's been a long time ago so I was happy to rewatch it uh, I have never seen Trancers 2 through 6 so I don't know how it changed if there was more Trancers involved in the uh, you know in the rest of the series or not. Uh, I felt like, I, I don't know why they couldn't put more transfers in. I guess they felt like, you know, they wanted to keep it short, keep it simple. Or maybe, because the transfers weren't, like, it wasn't real fancy makeup. So uh, it doesn't seem like it was real expensive to have a bunch of transfers in the film. But maybe it was just the time period. I mean, nowadays, I think if this film was made, I think you'd have like a shitload of transfers. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think, yeah, you probably would. Um, but I'd just... have like, you know, like a 28 days later type transfer. That, that's yeah. what it reminded me of. Kind of The transfers kind of like the 28 days later infected slash zombie i mean i think they're infected a lot of people say they're zombies you could go either way but that's what it kind of felt like to me and, and this film was made now actually maybe this is danny boyle maybe he saw this and decided to make 28 days later i don't know <laughs> <laughs> it's got that feel a little bit <laughs> yeah yeah well there's some things that are borrowed like the gun they used to send them back to uh i was gonna say back to the future uh back to the past is like is exactly like the gun they use in total recall that they shoot arnold it with in the neck just like in this to send him to uh his trip to mars or wherever he went yeah yeah that's true i, I was just looking through some uh, news tidbits about Thomerson to see what he's up to. He's uh, making a film with uh, Adrian Barbeau and John Saxon called War Wolves. Oh my god, that <laughs> sounds fucking awesome. Barbeau, the Saxon, the Thomerson. 
<laughs> when is this coming out? Uh, I don't know. Just uh, DreadCentral.com. They they uh, got a news tidbit up on September 26, 2008. It's a, sci- it's a sci-fi channel movie. So but, All right, uh, go, go ahead and go back to your notes. Uh, you want to talk about no. the lasers at all? Uh, yeah, go ahead. By all means. I actually, I'm done with my notes. So uh, Yeah, I, the one thing I, I did have on my notes I said I was going to bring up, I didn't. But we, we have lasers in this film. So uh, you guys who have listened to our show from the beginning know how we feel about lasers. We love the lasers. And this is one of those great films where if you look closely, the laser doesn't actually come out of the gun perfectly. It kind of comes off at an angle. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Because it's drawn in, you know, in post. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's pretty great. And whenever a trancer's killed, they they uh, they disintegrate. They leave. They, well, they call them scorchers. They leave a scorch mark on the ground. So uh, even though it's odd, because at one point I, I thought when you shoot them and kill them, they immediately scorch. But at one point, they make sure Helen Hunt's character sees a dead uh, a dead trancer, so they wait for that one to scorch. Did you notice that? Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, I mean he was he was laying there for a while, and then when she shows up, he all of a sudden disintegrates. Scorches. So yeah, <laughs> good timing. I remember even saying that out loud when I was watching. I was like, oh, that's that's good timing. That helps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that helps him get his story across. Oh, exactly. All right, so I'll go ahead and go over by Make or Break and my MVT. This is a new one. This is an interesting thing for me. My whole Make or Break and MVT is all wrapped up into one thing, and it's called The Long Second. <laughs> now, The Long Second is this basically this device that's on a wristwatch that the Telma Hopkins character we were talking about, the scientist, gives Tim Thomerson when he goes back in time. He can use The Long Second for any kind of situation. So you knew immediately when she handed him this watch and told him what The Long Second was that he he was going to use it some probably life-saving or life-altering type moment. I did not expect him to use it twice, by the way. That was kind of surprising. Yeah. But the first time he uses the long second, and this is why the long second is so awesome. The first time he uses the long second, I think I counted that it lasts it last a minute and 48 seconds. That is a long second. <laughs> That's a long damn second. And it is... It is one of the most awesome, and the reason why it's my make or break, the first time he uses it, when he they shoot a gun at Helen Hunt, it is one of the single, It's it is so hilarious to watch these people move in slow motion, and this bullet moving in slow motion, and Whistler frozen in time, and uh, you know, he picks her up and he carries her back to the convertible, it's it's all just so funny, and so out of place, and really, if you think about it, if they wouldn't have used slow motion, this film would have probably only been about, you know, 70 minutes long. <laughs> yeah, if, if the long second, or long seconds... <laughs> hadn't been in the film uh yeah it would have been considerably shorter yeah and, and then they use it again with the hap ashby uh character uh toward i won't give away what happens toward the end but i mean the reason why i bring it up is hap ashby's awesome he's like this old pitcher who's turned into a drunk and he has to find and jack death basically has to find these ancestors of these other characters so they don't you know disappear in the future and uh he hap ashby's throwing bottles and everything and hap ashby is a dead shot man this guy should have been a, a cia hitman because he can hap- hit anything with any object Hap Ashby is to bottle throwing what Trinity is to gun shooting. There you go. (laughs) If you give this guy a bottle, first he'll drink it, and then he is a dead shot. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, that's that's my make or break and my MVT is the long second. I I knew it was going to be used the way it was going to be used, and it was like this feeling of glee washed over me when I saw it first used. And it's used again later, and it's still great. So the long second is is awesome. It's just one of the most awesome things I've ever seen in a B-movie. Yeah, it is very good. Very good. And far as my rating goes for the film, my rating is seriously... Uh, affected by the running time of this film. I mean, the running time is short and sweet, and that's what I liked about it the most. I would probably give this about a six and a half out of ten. A six, yeah, it's about six and a half. Uh, it's if you're a fan of the genre, you'll probably like it a lot more. I mean, I am a fan of the genre. It, it is a little. It's really cheap and it's really shoddy, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, don't get me wrong, but and Thomerson really brings it. I mean, I always liked Tim Thomerson when I was growing up. He was a stand-up comedian, so I always thought he was pretty funny. Anyway, uh, nowadays he's just a B-movie actor. Which, by the way, I was scrolling through his credits a little while ago, and the guy's got almost two hundred 
movie credits now. So I mean, he's he he does a lot of work. So he's a, yeah, he's a working actor for sure. Yeah, and uh, but I give it about a six and a half. I think it's a lot of fun, uh, and that's not a bad score at all. I mean, it's good to watch. Uh, it's good to have when people are around or something. It's a good movie to throw in because uh, it's entertaining to have in the background. And again, like I say, it's really short. Uh, I wouldn't say all killer, no filler, because there is some filler, especially the long second. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it definitely is. Uh, it's it's a good quality film but for a, for a straight to video film from the eighties, uh, which was a dec- yeah, which was a decade of a lot of straight to video crap, which you know has carried on into the nineties and and well into the 2000s you know it's it's not exactly gone away the straight to video crap market this is definitely up there with the straight to video stuff i've ever seen i mean this is one of the the better films i've ever seen that went straight to video so there you go all right um my make or break is the 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 long second was great there's no question about that (laughs) but my uh, make or break was the scene when he's wrestling when santa turns into a trancer (laughs) and uh they're wrestling around and santa the trancer tried to bite him and i don't know does would that turn him into a trancer then or they never they never explain how a trancer becomes a trancer whistler is involved somehow and i guess like he hypnotizes them or something yeah he does something to them and i don't know if they're if they can infect other people or not that's never really explained well it's that i I don't know i mean maybe i'm reading it too much into it but you'd think if they're hypnotized it's a mental uh mental disease i guess to use (laughs) that term even though they turn into a basically a zombie with green skin yeah with with like crystal meth sores on their face yes um (laughs) but uh it's almost like okay so if it's a mental disease then can it be passed by like physically i don't know anyway i'm reading far too much into it um but the scene when when santa turns into a trancer there's kids around the kid was asking for like a hungry hippo and all that that was awesome because it reminded me of a scene out of like a christmas story or something it was yes. just uh, very nostalgic because all he said a few toys that were around when we were kids so the kid's doing that santa wigs out turns into a trancer him and jack death are tussling jack death shoots him santa does the peck and paw slow-mo death and then scorches which <laughs> For me, it was a pretty awesome scene. And, you know, this oh, yeah, was that, a, that's that scene with the uh, security. We've got trouble with the North Pole. We got trouble I mean, with the North Pole. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, I just thought it was a great, great scene. You know, this is a movie that, like I said to you, I, gosh, I really, I really hope that it was aware of what it was. And that's why it's got kind of the good sense of humor and not that it was just so clunky that's so bad it's good. But yeah, I will agree with you. I think the movie and Charles Band is aware of what the film is. I just don't think Tim Thomerson was aware of what the film was. <laughs> <laughs> well, it worked. It still worked. The director. <laughs> work <laughs> uh, by band uh, to Thomerson work well then for sure but no that's my make or break it, it was just a great scene and it just made me kind of know what is that into I mean it's just such a fun fun film um it is my MVT is the Thomerson uh I had not seen anything he was very very prominent in uh I'd seen Near Dark I own Near Dark it's uh, it's a great movie um yep. but in terms of stuff he'd done I don't recall off the top of my head seeing him in a bunch of stuff but I like Thomerson a lot in this like I said it was a very Bruce Campbell-esque performance uh, he was really good he has a good look um, and I really liked him in it. Uh, my score is slightly below yours. It's a 6.25 out of 10. Mm-hmm. I think that, like you'd said, it, again, sometimes our scores seem low, but, you know, we kind of grade them to a large degree as a film on the whole, not as a B-movie, as this, that. You know, I mean, that, that has to factor in uh, to some degree, but um, I just think this is a really fun film, and, you know, Sammy and I were talking, and it, as is the case with both of our films today, um, they are kid-friendly. So, Doc, if uh, you want to have KK watch Transfers and let us know what she thought of the, th- the, the shoulder pads and 
and lasers, uh, we'd be interested to hear that. But no, it's a really fun film, and I think anyone who's a fan of 80s action and 80s sci-fi um, should give this one a, 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 I was going to say a listen, uh, a watch. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I think Trancers is rated R, but I think it's only rated R because of the use of the F word. And it's not used that many times either. No, just that one great line, it's fucking Christmas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Before we get off Trancers, though, there's a movie I want to ask. If, if anyone's seen it, maybe Leather Jacket Buddha has. It was one I remember the case from as a kid. Maybe you've seen it, actually, Sammy. It's called Zone Troopers. Uh, no, I have not seen that. Are you familiar with the, the VHS box art? Uh, I may be. Uh, I don't have it in front of me here, but it's, I may be. It's kind of got the, the black backdrop with the stars. It has like this uh, sort of rat slash alien looking thing saying, I want you, almost like Uncle Sam. Uh-huh. And it says Zone Troopers. Anyway, this is a World War II movie with Tim Thomerson and Art Lafleur nice. playing World War It's World War II. They're American soldiers who find... Uh, who find an alien UFO uh, behind enemy lines. So anyone who's, who grew up in the 80s, this box art should be very familiar. And if anyone's actually seen it, let us know, because it, it looks like it would be a fun rom. going to have to check it out. Wonder yeah. how, I bet that probably isn't... That might not be readily available. That might not be easy to get a hold of. It might be a VHS only. Yeah, it might very well. All right, so that's our scores, guys. Uh, check out Transfers. Uh, it's easily available, and uh, it's a quick watch. So I do recommend. So go ahead. I was going to say, it's on Netflix, I believe, and Zip.ca. So yeah. there you go. It's easily available, and the, unfortunately, the transfer on the DVD is terrible. But you know, it it kind of fits the mood of the film. So there you go. Yeah, it's again soft a little bit, but that's okay. All right, so we'll go to break, and we'll be back with our second review. What's up, kitties? You're listening to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, the only show crazy enough to tackle the Brian Bosworth classic, Stone Cold. back from break a little moody piece there from uh, death cab for cutie i'm not familiar with that song uh it's called i will follow you into the dark i believe is what it's called so check it out good song all right so we are going to go into our second film which is known as return of the killer tomatoes hang on now- return of the killer <laughs> yes. tomatoes <laughs> yes tomatoes <laughs> the uh <laughs> the uh <clears throat> to say the least this film this is kind of a rarity. You typically don't cover a sequel before you would cover the original film. But uh, Return of the Killer Tomatoes is kind of interesting in a lot of ways compared to the original film. So, you know, and it has definitely has a cult following and there's a reason for that. So, and I know we have some fans on the boards of this film. Not only just fake shimp, but I believe uh, Barbarella Cult, I believe she likes this film quite a bit too. So, it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. There's no doubt about that. All right, it comes from uh, 1988, which is amazing when you think about it. It's only 20 years old. Because it feels, I don't know if you felt this, but it feels older than 20 years. Yeah, it does. It definitely does. <laughs> I mean, Trancers felt more modern than this film does. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you 100%. <laughs> it does it's just weird. really weird to me. And I think like three or four years after this, George Clooney became a sex symbol. So, amazing when you think about it. He became hindsight. People Magazine's sexiest man alive. 
Yeah, and I actually used the word hindsight again, so evidently we have a fetish going this morning. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so Return to the Killer Tomatoes, directed by one John DeBello, who I believe directed all the Killer Tomato films, uh, which I've only seen uh, the first one in this one, so I can't comment on Killer Tomatoes Attack France or Eat France or whatever the hell it's called, and uh, there's another one I believe too, so I can't really comment on those. So okay, here's the basic plot synopsis: Crazy old Professor Gangrene has developed a way to make tomatoes look human for a second invasion, and that's really all you need to know. I mean, that's a simple plot, but that's really all it is. <clears throat> oh man, uh, I like the tagline: "The vegetables of doom return. They're bad, and this time they're really stewed." Yeah, that bad pun gives you an idea of what the <laughs> film's all about. The tagline is is in the spirit of the film. So fake champ picked this film as his second pick. Uh, I'll go. Go ahead and kick it over to you, and uh, we'll get started talking about it. Okay, the first thing I noticed uh, would have been the first thing on anyone's screen, and that was that it was a New World Pictures uh, film. Nice. Yes, I did notice that immediately. They, uh, I lost the link I had, but New World Pictures, I, when I did some research, I knew they did a lot of stuff because I was familiar with them from my childhood, but they did a lot of genre stuff, like the Angel films, uh, a bunch of stuff anyway, so uh, I, I meant to bring that up, but we're probably running a little long to be to be going off on a New World Picture tangent anyway. Um, let me get this out of the way I think it really needs to be said I fucking hate Anthony Stark who played Chad Finletter hate <laughs> hate hate this oh, may be for shit. a few reasons I hate Kevin Connolly on Entourage. I think he's a, he's one of these people, you just hate them to look at them. Uh-huh. Anthony Stark <laughs> kind of looks like Kevin Connolly. I hate them both. And I was mixing them both up with the um, the bad guy from Revenge of the Nerds 2, Nerds in Paradise. Right. So those three are all kind of melded together for me, and I just fucking hate Anthony Stark. So Where, have I, where else have I seen Anthony Stark? I've well, seen him in something else. Um, I will tell you what he's done, because you probably have. He's done a lot of TV work. He actually Film wise, he didn't do that much. He did repossess the Linda Blair, uh, uh, the spoof one, uh, which was kind of oh, funny. Okay. Uh, he did License to Kill, the Bond film, oh, but I don't okay. think it was a big part. No, it was more towards the middle of the uh, the uh, billing. Um, nowhere to run. And yeah, again, I don't. There's there's really not a lot in here though. No, I, I was I guess surprised. I'd see him from TV. I guess. I guess it's just where I see him from. Well, I know he did one episode of 90210, one of my favorites, and he played the cowboy. Oh, boy. Yeah, there's nothing on here that really jumps out at me, though. But I, I got to say, I really don't like him. I really don't like him. It's just one of those people, you know, his face bothers me so much. Uh, well, it doesn't help that this film, he is the weakest part of this film. By far he is. By far his, he his is. His overacting... <laughs> He did get the memo, okay, of, uh, to go back to the Thomerson thing. He did get the memo as to what type of film this was, but he doesn't even do the overacting well. And that's really kind of sad. <laughs> that is sad. That Yeah, his overacting was very poorly overacted and just what, yeah, it wasn't what it should have been. It was really terrible. Um, so I really don't like him. I got to get that off my chest because, honestly, his my hate for him pulled me out of the film at times, which is a shame. Yeah, there were scenes with him that went on for way too long with him kind of overreacting and mm-hmm. they became uh, I guess the best word to put it is they became uncomfortable yeah they really did um, <laughs> but I wanted to get the negative out of the way first because I just yes. he really really did bother me now on to the good stuff I did really like the film uh, I had seen this once when I was a kid I think it was at a birthday party with my brother we watched this in UHF yes which <laughs> that was awesome awesome film I, I would like to rewatch that again because I remember thinking it was really really funny as a kid and I don't know if it was one of those films that would have only been funny as a kid. No, it, it actually is a funny film. It's uh, one of me and my brother, one of our favorites. But this film holds up a lot better than I thought it was going to. I thought it was going to be really kind of lowbrow idiot well, humor. Well, yeah, let's talk about that for a second. Okay, so the first about 30 minutes of this film, I had the same feeling. I thought, oh, 
fuck, man, this is going to be really rough because I haven't seen this in years, and this 30 minutes here, this is really not holding up very well. Uh, maybe it's like 25 minutes or 20 minutes, but you really get a sense in the beginning that this is going to be a rough ride. Am I right? Yeah, you absolutely do. And then it, we'll go over it some more in a little while. It, it, it takes a tonal shift and become something totally different, which is a lot of fun. So it, it, I was really stunned at how well it held up and how well it kind of comments on uh, movies nowadays. Because if you think about it, it really comments well on what film culture has become in America. It absolutely does, and that's the thing. It becomes very self-aware, and that was the thing I enjoyed the most about the film, was how self-aware it was. Um, when you talk about things like the product placements, um, yes. there's some really, really funny bits with some of the product placements. Um, <laughs> you know, And actually, they feature... Moosehead, great Canadian beer, Nova Scotian beer. I saw uh, that. I thought about you when I saw the, the Moosehead. I thought that you would be thinking about me when you saw that. Um, because Moosehead's a great Canadian beer. Um, and there's the stuff with the Pepsi and the cornflakes, which covers... Uh, there's a scene where uh, Clooney's character <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> and Anthony Stark's character is sitting at a dining, like a diner table, and the the box of cornflakes comes up and just basically blocks their, them completely. Just a lot of the product placement stuff was really, really funny in the film. Oh, yeah, that was great. That cornflake thing was great. Also, the great thing was that really terrible matte painting of the uh, mansion. Oh, with the Pepsi sign out front. Yeah, they kept showing this terrible matte painting, and then when they got self-aware, they eventually went back and showed the matte painting again, but it had a painted Pepsi emblem on it. <laughs> yeah, like a big, like a, like a roadside billboard in the front of the house. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it was great, man. <laughs> it was really good. And that's when the things really started to roll for me, when it became sort of a... Uh, see, I love slapstick. I think slapstick nowadays has a bad name name because of these cunts. I don't know if uh, people are going to be offended by that word, but uh, and it's maybe not very gentlemanly, but say yeah. uh, la vie. Uh, they, do, they do those uh, date movie and epic movie uh, films. Yes, yes. They just, they can't get the... Don't get me wrong. I've watched some of those movies, and some of them have funny moments, but the problem is, is they can't get the whole film right. They can only get bits and pieces right. Used to when spoofs were made, like by the Zucker Brothers, for instance. Oh, yeah. Uh, Naked Gun or Airplane. Plane or these films, uh, Top Secret's one of my favorites. When these films were made initially, or Hot Shots is a good one too. Oh, it's great. They they got it right because they got the whole tone of the whole film right. Now I feel like even though everything is easy to make fun of, I know there's a new one coming out called uh, Dance Movie or something like oh, that. Another yeah. dance movie or something like that. I don't know what it's called. It has some really funny moments in the trailer, but I already know that when what's going to happen is if I say, "Oh yeah, let's go ahead and watch this film because it looks kind of funny," because the trailers always do look kind of funny. I go back and watch the film though, and the film isn't good because they can't get the tone right all the way through. So spoofs as much as they're not considered a you know a masterpiece of modern cinema it really takes a very talented writer and director to make a spoof that lasts for 90 minutes I, I know you would agree with that I completely agree because they need to be very 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 familiar with the stuff they're spoofing and sort of the little subtle nuances of that particular genre you know uh, it has to be there or else forget it it's just going to become set piece after set piece after set piece of let's put a scene from Saw in here with Shaq and Dr. Phil and let's put this set piece with uh, you know this guy uh, uh, Simon Rex and you know it'll be funny and, and they never quite get it to, to flow the way it should because they're not familiar enough with the source material and that's the problem. Yes, yes. Forgive me, I know that word may be a little salty for some, uh, to be completely honest. I use the word cunt off the air quite often uh, when I when people cut me off in traffic and lots of stuff. So I'll try not yes, to use I've it. Yes, I've heard that when you've, I've been on the phone with you when you've been in traffic. Oh, yeah. I got a, I speak like a, an English soccer hooligan off the air sometimes. Like um, a sailor in a peacoat. Like a sailor in a peacoat. My peacoat. <laughs> yes, I'll be wearing my peacoat today when I go out and finish up my Christmas shopping, actually. Um, but that's the problem. But this film does nail that. 
that slapsticky, very self-aware uh, vibe perfectly. And I was pleasantly surprised that it did hold up that way. Because a lot of times films like this that you watch as a kid don't hold up as an adult. And this one perfectly did, I thought. I will agree. This one, uh, I was kind of worried when we when I was watching it. I was like, you know, this is really kind of way outside of our realm of films we cover. We typically don't mention comedies. Not, not films that are, well, not films that know they're comedies, okay? And this is kind of like a horror slash science fiction slash comedy. We typically don't, I know when we've talked about on our schedule films we are going to cover, we typically don't, uh, and I know you agree with this, we typically don't pick stuff that has a little bit of comedy in it. It might be inadvertently funny because of like <laughs> like like transfers with the Thomerson not getting the memo or you know some other films we've watched but we never really aimed to pick anything of this type of cult material so it was really really pleasantly surprising for me as well to watch this film and I, like I said I was really really worried about it like the first 20 minutes in because I've only seen this once before and it was a long long time ago and all I remembered it was really goofy and, and I'd forgotten all about the product placement and things like that and of course I didn't really get that when I was younger you know I was like I guess I was like 15 or 16 when I see it, saw it and I didn't really get all of that if you go back and watch this film now with the product placement it re- the joke really really works well because nowadays you can't watch hardly anything hell you can't even play a video game without product placement I mean it really really holds uh, true to what uh, Hollywood's become which it was already becoming that in 88 but I mean it really has become that now I mean Michael Bay owes his whole career to Pepsi Cola and a couple other companies yeah I think Hollywood was on the precipice of heavy heavy product placement uh, you know it's like you know that became the thing with the Bond film um, uh-huh. You know which car company was was uh, going to be the sponsor, and you know it's that sort of a thing, and it just it bothers me a lot. I mean, films that are that commercial can be bothersome anyway, but when it sticks out like a sore thumb, sometimes uh, it's it's even more annoying. And and yeah, they nail it perfectly in this. Um, yep. A couple of things I did want to talk about. Of course, you have Gomez Adams as the uh, mad scientist, <laughs> Professor Gangrene. Yeah, and and he 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 nails the type of acting for this film perfectly. Oh, does he ever? I mean, he really, really <laughs> does. I thought the Rambo clones. Because what happens in case you haven't seen this film? They put a tomato uh, in this this sort of a cylindrical, uh, a clear thing, and and they play some music and and uh, it's toxic waste. They, yeah, they dip them in toxic waste, which is looks like uh, I guess it looks like piss with it's bubbling at the top. Yep. Yeah, it looks like 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 somebody like you walk into a men's room and somebody didn't flush and you know they got a nice head on that uh the piss they left in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what it looks like. And then they put him on a, they put the tomato, as you were saying, on a cylindrical like tube. And I'll let you go ahead and cover from there. Yeah, and they play a certain music, and then a certain type of clone comes out. And what, uh, <laughs> what professor? I, what, well, I love the music that they play to get the Rambo clones. Yeah. Oh, it was awesome. It was awesome. Um, and they had like a Carmen Miranda um, look-alike and the Pope and all this. Anyway, but uh, the Rambo ones are great because um, I think they probably had about five or six of these guys, maybe a little bit more. And it's funny because a lot of them are they're shirtless. They wear the red handband, uh, headband. They have a gun in their hand. And all of them are buff, but there's one that's just fatter than the other ones, and he's hairier. <laughs> did you see that one? Yes, I did. Yeah, it's like the rest of them are kind of these ripped, kind of amateur Mr. America bodybuilders. And there's the one who's just sort of like uh, the steel mill worker who's wearing the headband and, you know, he's kind of a huskier lad. But uh, no, they were a great little thing. Uh, a great little piece of the film, sort of these mindless uh, drones that uh, Gangrene kept around to kind of guard things. Um, Muscle-bound gardeners and carpenters. Oh, yeah, she goes, yeah, because someone, uh, the pizza boy pulls up, uh, my friend there, Anthony Stark, the old blank slate, uh, what's her name, Tara. Uh, Tara, yeah. She says uh, to the pizza boy, uh, these are carpenters and gardeners, not tomato men. And yes. uh, <laughs> it was a pretty... I'm like, really? Like, they have guns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what carpenter uses a gun, other than maybe a nail gun. 
but uh, yeah, but it was a good little line. I mean, you have to see the delivery of it. It was pretty good, and, and she was actually pretty good in it too. Uh, maybe we'll talk about the cast probably in the whole a little bit later. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, I will say it was very, very unsettling or not unsettling. It was it took me a while to get used to seeing George Clooney with a feathery Keith Hernandez Latino mullet and a pork pie hat. Yes, um, it 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 was just one of those things I couldn't I couldn't get around that at first until maybe you know I'd seen him on screen for about thirty minutes and then I kind of got used to it and kind of kind of went with it um, because we're so used to seeing him with sort of the short salt and pepper hair uh, so it's really interesting to see him in this uh, this kind of a film yeah and like I say it wasn't very long after this film that he became uh, you know the doctor on ER and uh, you know kind of you know re- uh, brought back in that hairstyle of you know uh, basically the hairstyle I still wear to this day because I really just cut my hair short and it just you know whatever and he brought that back. They called it the Clooney here in the States. So I don't know what they called it up there. When he got on ER, they called it the Clooney. They called it the Trebek because Alex Trebek had his hair like that for a while. Nice. No, I'm kidding. They they called it the <laughs> One thing I do want to talk about that I thought was really funny was the uh, George Clooney's character is a bit of a, a rascal, a bit of a charming kind of, you know, tries to get in the girl's pants uh, type guy. He has this contest where he's trying to get girls' numbers, and it's basically like a win-a-date-with-Rob-Lowe win a uh, contest where he's going to get girls' numbers and stuff. Uh-huh. What was really funny about that was the year that this movie came out was the year uh, that Rob Lowe got busted uh, with videotaping himself uh, having sex with underage girls. Nice. So it turned out to be pretty uh, pretty ironic uh, that he's trying to sort of skeezily get these girls' numbers. And it's the same year Rob Lowe gets pinched for, for his little scandal. But uh, Yeah, and I, I thought they wouldn't revisit that and repay it off, uh, But they, uh, which is something I'll bring up again later when I talk about my stuff. Uh, but they do. They bring uh, Playboy Playmate, Terry Wagle, I think was her name. Wigel. Uh Yeah, Wigel, whatever you want to call her. Uh, anyway, she's a very popular Playmate. Uh, at least she was in the 80s. And uh, they bring her in. And at one point she goes, are you Rob Lowe? <laughs> Something like that to, to uh, Anthony Stark. Yeah, and I got to say, while we're on the topic of Weigel, I was a big fan of Weigel's work in the 80s. Yes. As a young... As most of us, <laughs> most of us young guys in the 80s were. She was one of my first uh, near and dear to my heart when I discovered uh, the uh, the literature of uh, many gentlemen's magazines. But anyway. Yeah, that might have been a different kind of lotion you were using then. Oh, yeah, it certainly was. <laughs> It certainly was Jurgens. Uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> but en- enough about my technique. What else here? There's some really good lines in the film too. I thought um, there's a line when uh, sorry guys, I'm really sick at this, but I'm trying to slog through this. When Tara, uh, when she meets, uh, she goes. She she's at the pizza shop with Anthony. And let me digress. Tomatoes were outlawed in this film, which is why they couldn't make pizzas with tomatoes. But who said right. it had, had to turn into a, a candy pizza? Why couldn't they use pesto or peppers instead of tomatoes? Uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I, these pizzas they. <laughs> were making look terrible it had like peanut butter and gummy bears and uh it was like a can't like it like uh like a kid made this pizza you know it was yes. just all candy and it was just bizarre but anyway so she comes in out of the rain uh, to see him and she's trying to entice him and and uh, she says that she can make 815 international dishes she knows 637 sexual positions she's familiar with all popular home appliances uh and she asks him shall i cook for you oh what a blowjob can i iron your pants and uh <laughs> just that little bit with her that kind of rapid fire uh, little yes. bit with her, I thought was really funny, and that's probably the only time in the film I think where Anthony Stark uh, is is any good. He's actually really good in those scenes with her. He's uh, he reacts well to her. I mean, every other time he's overacting, but there he 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 reacts pretty good because the, she just rapid fires that stuff. I mean, it's really funny when she said blow job and iron your pants. I about I about lost it. <laughs> And then uh, what's funny is is that uh, she says 637 sexual positions, but uh, you get real wacky and crazy. But is there 637, really? Well, I'm sure that uh, Tantra, or I'm sure there's some sort of Eastern uh, book that would, would verify that there are probably even more than that. And yeah, some of I mean, those... Hell, you only need two. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, two or three uh, tricks up your Seems sleeve. Seems to get the job done, didn't you say? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, some of these positions look life-threatening and very difficult to pull off. Uh, yes. You know, I, I don't think I want to go that route. I'll stick with the old standbys. It's like a pitcher, you know, he's got three or four in his arsenal, and, and that's enough for him. You start trying any more, and it's going to get messy very quickly. Yeah, you're going to quote-unquote throw your arm out. <laughs> oh, you'll throw it out all right. You'll be on the uh, the injured reserve, uh, or yes. physically unable to perform list for quite some time after that. Oh. Let's talk about Tara. What, now, when you first saw Tara, did you think she's attractive? Or what did you think when you first saw her? Here's the thing with Tara. When I first saw her, um, she's sort of the the uh, blank slate assistant to Professor Gangrene. And I really yes. liked early on that she... It sounds like it would be easy enough to be a blank slate, but her timing with being a bank blank slate and everything um, was really good. And I thought she was really good looking. She looked like, to me like a cross between Rebecca De Mornay, Tracy Lords, and Tiffany Amber Thiessen. Yeah, that's a good cross. Um, with a slightly bigger nose or wider mm-hmm. nose. I thought she was very attractive. I thought when she was in the rain and her hair was kind of slicked back, she was attractive. But there were some scenes when she had teased hair uh, that she didn't yes. look as attractive. Uh-huh. She was, uh, she had quite the body on her. That's what I remember the most. I mean, I remember when they first showed her in the bikini, I was like, whoa. I mean, she she was, uh, she had quite the body on her. At first, I felt the same way. At the first, when she was the blank slate, I felt like ah, they could have got somebody else for this because even as a blank slate, she's not very attractive. But as she went along and kind of, <laughs> smiled and giggled and and things like that she became more attractive to me or maybe it was after the bikini sequence i don't know i mean maybe i'm just that maybe i'm just that simple but uh she did Uh, of course you know she was wearing the frosted pants uh, which were awesome in the late 80s and mid 80s. Uh, not oh, yeah. the stonewash. I think those were frosted. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, she certainly was. No, I liked her. I, you know, I thought she was pretty good in the film. And uh, no, I'm not saying she's uh, she's one of the gentleman's favorites, Helen Mirren or, uh, you know, uh, someone like that. But I do think that in this sort of material, she could have done more stuff. And she didn't do that much stuff. She was okay. But uh, that was the weird. That was, I was wondering if you got the same, uh, you know, feelings that I had because that's the way I felt. I mean, first time I see her, I'm like, ah, is this going to be, is this going to be the girl for the movie? Because this is she's not going to carry this she's not going to carry it for me and uh, as time went on though throughout the movie she I became more and more affectionate toward her I guess is the best words so I really and of course when you get to the end of the film I really really enjoyed uh, her sequences oh, I, quite no, a bit. yeah she was good in it and I actually liked her right from the beginning I thought even her like I said her, her blank slate stuff was still good I, as easy as it sounds to pull that off uh, she pulled it off pretty well and her timing with the, with it was good um, like I said I don't think she's a great actress but in this kind of a film she was fine and, and I did yeah find uh, her more in Deering as the film went on. She was perfect for this uh, sort of a role. What else we got here? Just a couple more notes. You know, there's the scene in this, and it's been in so many films, and I'm hoping either you or one of our listeners can tell us the first time this was in, in film, where you get the mime harassing the couple. We'll talk about the mime and the couple oh, a little okay, bit more okay. later. We'll get into that later, but <laughs> if anyone knows the very first scene put on film where a mime harasses a couple, uh, let us know, because I'm curious about that. Um, a couple more notes I have here. The newsman reminded me a lot of Fred Willard. Yes, yes, he did. He was. I, I like I liked Igor too. I like that he wanted to be a newsman so bad. There's actually a painted picture. There is so much Louisville, Kentucky, and Kentucky references. Diane Sawyer is a painted shrine picture in yeah. this. And Diane Sawyer is from Louisville, Kentucky. I did not know that. Uh, George Clooney is uh, born in Lexington, Kentucky, raised in Northern Kentucky. Then we had, you know, Thelma Hopkins and Trancers in Kentucky. I mean, uh, you know, uh, fake Shemp. I appreciate all the, uh, you know, all the Kentuckians you managed uh, inadvertently, I'd imagine, to uh, get onto our show today. If somehow Warren <laughs> Oates and Johnny Depp had have uh, popped up, it would have been even, even. More. 
more uh, cause to celebrate. <laughs> but I, I really liked the news. Yeah, the, uh, Igor was good, uh, but the newsman I thought was good, and it, it really was like a Fred Willard type performance. Like there's, uh, there's. Oh a- yeah, the the great scene with the at the restaurant where he interviews the lady afterwards, and he basically just harasses the fuck out of oh, her. Oh, he basically she's been traumatized, and he basically calls her fat and everything else. But that wasn't even the one I was getting at. As good as that was, the, the scene I liked the best was when he's in front of the camera talking about an up- upcoming investigative uh, piece of journalism he's going to partake in where he, he kind of uh, teases it a little bit or, or previews it he, he goes strip teasers topless dancers women taking showers good or bad 15 part investigative report to come next week <laughs> 15 part <laughs> I'm glad he was going to be as thorough with that uh, piece of journalism but I thought that was a great yeah. little piece again really funny stuff in this film I mean just held up very very well there's a lot of that kind of stuff there's a lot of that kind of stuff where it's kind of throwaway lines that if you're not paying attention you'll miss it well yeah like even something very subtle that I thought was absolutely hilarious was the fact that everyone looked at sailing as being sort of the number one watch sport in America yeah and the sailing video was hilarious because it would show sailing and then it would show like an old power movie yeah and anyone who's watched sailing knows that sailing fucking blows like in terms of what a spectator sport it is the worst spectator sport i mean a lot of people here in the states will complain about watching golf but fuck man oh i'd rather watch golf for days than watch an hour of sailing yeah how exciting is sailing it's not i mean maybe if you're on the water that's one thing but god like america's cup and all this nonsense it's just i remember seeing it sometimes it'd be on uh, our version of like espn or espn 2 at night when they're trying to fill up time before you know poker and ultimate fighting and all this came along oh, god just seeing fucking sailing on just killed me i just hated it so it was really funny you know, yeah it really was really funny uh and this film again just talking about its intelligence there's a line where george clooney references on the waterfront when he yells stella yeah yeah there's a scene where you know he yells tara and then uh george clooney goes stella that and i mean you got like the high noon poster and the raging bull poster in their apartment you know i like i like all the scenes too where and i'm kind of going over my notes as we're going along here because we have a lot of feedback today and then the show's going to run kind of long so uh i like the how they sped up i usually don't like it when they speed up cameras in films because sometimes it works and sometimes it don't but i really like the places they decided to speed up the camera in this film like they're looking for terror and they decide that that's a good spot to speed the film up it's really weird to me yeah yeah, no, I agree. I usually think it's, it's in this day and age, it's kind of tacky and overdone, but it worked pretty well in this. Um, I just have one more note, actually. Um, there's the scene when they got uh, they got Clooney and uh, and his buddy Chad uh, kid not kidnapped. They got them captured in the in their lair, and uh, Gangreen says to Igor, "Take him to the guest room." And he's like, "We don't have a guest room." And he goes, "Guest room's a euphemism for a dungeon. Must I always be so literal?" And uh, yes. my delivery is nowhere near as great as John Aston's, but uh, God, it was. It's just funny, funny stuff. John Aston has this a great delivery anyway. I mean, unfortunately, he's always been typecast after after the Adams family. He was always, you know, that John Aston, you know. Yeah. But he he has some great deliveries as a mad scientist in here, and his interactions with Igor are hilarious. There's a scene where they're driving away in the then the garbage truck, and we didn't bring up the garbage truck, but evidently that's what they use to get around. Which is the most cumbersome vehicle to follow people around in is a garbage truck. Cumbersome <laughs> and the least sort of um, covert. Yeah. <laughs> with like. With a buff blonde-headed guy who always smiles. Yeah, he looks uh, behind the wheel. <laughs> yeah, he almost looks like uh, Rocky from Rocky Horror Picture a little bit. <laughs> yes, yes. And there's a scene where they're driving away and they're and they're laughing. And earlier that the, you know there was a scene where Igor laughed and he's like, "Don't you laugh? That's what I'm supposed to do." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. No. A lot of great moments between John Aston and Igor. It's pretty funny. Oh, there were. I don't know what else you have, Sammy. I'm sure you have a few notes that we didn't... Uh... I'll bring up a couple of things. I, I really liked uh, the uh, title of the song that shrinks the big tomatoes, uh, Puberty Love. I believe that was in the first film. Oh, yeah. I wrote that 
down and I didn't mention it. I thought, yeah, it was a great, it was a really funny thing, you know, because you get all those teenage songs about, uh, like, puppy love and, and all this. But that was a great name for the song, Puberty Love. I also like the, uh, his, uh, uh, their uncle's uh, compatriots. The the, uh, the fat uh, Lone Ranger and uh, the underwater guy who can't stay out of the water very long and always wears his scuba suit. Whether yeah, <laughs> he's superheroes. Whether he's on on land or not, yeah, he's always in the scuba gear. The Lone Ranger is a very obese black man who they call a master of disguise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. he's pretty fucking funny in the film. He's too. very good in it. Uh, there's a there's a lot of great moments where. Uh, this is simple things. It, it, the, you know, the, lot of, the tomatoes, whenever they around people, people just scream and run. And there's a mutant tomato named RT that uh, is a fuzzy tomato that kind of like, you know, yeah, FT, my bad, not RT, FT. And uh, uh, it's pretty funny. There's some really funny moments and good payoffs with him. The one thing about this film that I really liked was that it was so self-aware and that it really paid attention to the fact that things paid off. There's even a scene at the end, and I'm not giving away the ending of the film. There's even a scene at the end where uh, Stark, his character, actually addresses the audience and says that's what you call a payoff you didn't think we'd pay that off and, yeah. and and Clooney says well not everything we didn't pay off everything and as soon as he says that a pizza crust falls now earlier in the film he had been making a pizza and he threw it up in the air and you never saw it come back down so here it is you know 50 60 minutes later the pizza comes down and hits him in the head so I thought that was pretty inspired and kind of funny yeah they did pay off things very well in this film which again is a sign of intelligent <laughs> filmmakers but yeah it is it is a good sign that uh, the filmmakers knew what they were doing uh, I mean you watch this film and like I say, the first 20 minutes you think oh my god this is so inept and so terrible but then they realize that this is the kind of film it is so why not comment on the fact that you know this is the type of movie we're making we're making a b-movie a b-movie horror comedy hybrid of some kind about killer tomatoes we know what this film is yeah so we're going to show you what this film is and uh, you know with the product placement and all that stuff and there's a lot of great moments of but I really liked all that. I liked uh, I liked the music. I like how the music inspired what uh, what you mentioned the uh, the tomatoes, how they would be formed and stuff. The the Rambo esque uh, '80s electric guitar type music is awesome. Uh, you know, the, I don't know if that would make these big buff dudes, but <laughs> at the time it probably would because that was probably considered like some heavy shit back then. You know, <laughs> there's a lot of great moments with those guys. Uh, I think at one point they end up at a prison and they they have all of them there, and that's when you see the one that's kind of fat and out of shape and <laughs> and hairy. Uh, that, you would think that that's almost an in-joke. Uh, you know, he's got all these buff guys. Why not throw one fat one in there like he was the mutant or the one that he kind of messed up on, you know? Yeah, no, very true. I don't expect that it would have been uh, unintentional in hindsight. And there it comes again. The word of the day is... <laughs> hindsight. <laughs> I like that, uh, you know, whenever they kill the tomatoes, you know, you get the, the tomato juice all over everything. Like it's a, uh, like it's, you know, like it's splatter almost. Yeah. Uh, I like that. I've always liked that, these tomato films. And, and, you know, I mean, this is a ridiculous premise for a movie. It, it's always been a ridiculous premise for a movie. And matter of fact, most people know of the Killer Tomatoes franchise, but have not seen the films. Most people probably wouldn't watch, I'll be honest with you. Uh, my wife even knows of the Killer Tomatoes, but she's never seen a film. And I believe they even had a Saturday morning cartoon at some point. Yeah, I think they did. Which is just insane when you think about it. And guess what? It's really insane when you think about it in hindsight. In there you hindsight. go. But that's really all I got. Uh, I really don't have a whole lot of notes because, again, uh, you know, I was scratching. It seems like we have, you know, like minds think alike, I guess. we Basically everything on here 
that you mentioned I had on my notes, so I just scratched it out. I just will say that give if you do watch this film, give it a shot. The first you might be into the first twenty minutes or so, twenty, twenty five minutes, you might be into that kind of thing, but it really shifts gears about twenty, twenty five minutes in and becomes something totally different. And really from that point on is a very, very entertaining movie. And it just flies. From that point on it just coasts right into the ending. Yeah. And it's a lot of fun from that point on. Oh, I mean, yeah. All right, I'll kick it over to you and let you go over your MVT and your make or break. Alrighty, my make or break are the product placement shot. Again, they were just so obvious and just so great. Again, this is the, the foresight to put them in in this film. Not hindsight, but the foresight uh, <laughs> there we go. to put them in the film uh, was really, really good. Um, they were really, especially, you know, like I said, it just got funnier and funnier. Like the cornflakes was sort of the height of it. With or, or we even didn't even mention there's like a Honda commercial, ATV commercial that's really funny when they're <laughs> they're gonna drive to to rescue Tara and they're on Honda ATV quads and you know it's just really funny stuff. Um, I wonder if fake Shimp. I wonder if up there where he's from. I wonder if there's a lot of like scooter driving and ATV driving because both films he chose people drive the oddest things to chase people down in. Yeah, that's that's uh, yeah, that's a really good point I never thought of that. Yeah, that's uh, that's good. Um, <laughs> my MVT of the film is the sense of I was going to go with Clooney's hair. Um, that's a good one. That is a good one. Uh, but instead <laughs> I went with the the sense of humor and the self-awareness of the writers of this film. This almost is sort of like a minor masterpiece for me anyway to sit alongside the naked guns the airplanes uh the uh the hot shots um Mm -hmm. you know loaded weapon like that sort of stuff really good slapstick because i'm a really big fan of it and it's a shame nowadays its reputation has been sullied by uh those idiots doing the disaster movies and stuff um right because it's when it's done well it's so funny and they really pull it off really well in this film so that's my mvt and my yeah the the the, my hopes are that the trailer that's floating around out there on the internet the black dynamite my hopes are that they know how to do it but i'm not optimistic i really hope they are because god you know loving black exploitation and loving sort of slapsticky spoofy stuff i hope it works because uh i do too you know i'm gonna get you sucker is one of my favorite comedies it's so good so spot on and i hope they can uh, live up to that um well we'll see my score for the film is a six out of ten uh, again i don't think the score is reflective of uh, how fun it is um or how competently it's made for what it is. Uh, don't let that discourage anyone who hasn't seen it from getting it or even revisiting it. It's, you know, like you and I had said, we were revisiting it. And most times, as we mentioned, when you look at something as a child and as an adult, it doesn't hold up well. But what this did, uh, it's, it was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun with it. And, and I did find myself laughing out loud, which is something I don't do a lot of comedies that are out today. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I found myself laughing out loud too, even when nobody was around, which was disturbing. <laughs> oh, I was. I was LOLing by myself. <laughs> I'll go over my make or break and my MVT. My, my, um, I'm going to go over my MVT first. My MVT is actually the product placement idea. I mean, it was a great idea to make the movie self-aware and product placement. Uh, the, really, the, the, the idea of the product placement has really kind of come through even more so in movie culture after 88. The fact that they're commenting on this you know, back then uh, really makes me laugh. I mean, it's probably not the first film to comment on uh, product placement. Probably some of the other spoof films did or you know, somebody else did. But this one probably does it the best with the kind of ludicrous nature of the product placement. And I just found that so much fun. It, it got to a point to where watching the film where I was looking for product placement more than I was watching the movie. And uh, I was having so much fun 
done with it. And that cornflake scene you mentioned, it almost became my make or break scene because it was, <laughs> I, I just about, I about lost it with that cornflake sequence. It was just hilarious. That and the, the sequence right before that where Cooney's doing all the uh, selling of products right there at the counter, which is pretty funny too. Uh, yeah. And I mean, we didn't even mention the, the, the barroom brawl with the ninjas and cowboys and everything else. <laughs> yeah. That scene, that scene could have been a make or break too, because that scene is just insane. It I, I, <laughs> it's like, let's just bring a bunch of people in. Well, what had happened was in the script, there's a scene that's actually really funny too, where they mentioned somebody from the Screen Actors Guild shows up and that if you speak on film, you automatically get paid money. So now they needed to put all these people in movies. So they automatically created a sequence with all these other people <laughs> and they were put ninjas and cowboys and everything in the film. And I think if you look closely, the people that were behind the scenes that were talking, those are the ninjas and all those people. Cause there's some female ninjas in there and stuff too. So yeah, it was really, really great. And there's actually the broken bottle over the head scene in the bar fight or in the restaurant fight, which is always, it's completely necessary. It seems at all times. Yes, it is. So that could have been my make or break too. The make or break for this one is really, really hard, but to bring up what you were talking about earlier, this might have the best, I think mime sequence bothering the couple falling in love sequence I've ever seen. This sequence is hilarious. And just when you think it's over, the fucking mime comes back again. Yeah. (laughs) And it is so creepy. And so funny at the same time. Now, I've been to some big cities on vacation. I am not a fan of the, I don't know what the word would be, mimicry? Mimicry? What I mean? Mm. Of the art of miming. I'm not really a big fan of it. Yeah. Uh, It's always kind of creeped me out, to be honest with you. I could see that. (laughs) And uh, that shit was funny back when the Muppets were on fucking TV, not now. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But this mime sequence is hilarious. He shows up at the beach. He shows up. He does everywhere they go. And it's actually very inspired and very funny. And it's definitely my make or break uh, scene in this film because I could watch that scene over and over and over again it is hilarious as far as my score for the film i'm gonna go with a six and a half but these films are both very good to me and very very rewatchable these are definitely quote unquote cult movies the both of these films uh i know fake champ which we all know is jay let's go ahead and say jay from lansing i know he didn't really think that bring me the hit of alfredo garcia was a midnight movie so much but these two movies uh if you want to go to the true definition i guess of midnight movie then these two movies are definitely midnight movies i mean these are definitely movies you watch late at night i mean i can remember watching return of the Killer tomatoes as a kid and i probably saw it late at night i don't think it was on during the day so uh, these are definitely late night movies and so they're very inspired picks it's really great to cover a sequel before covering the original I really had a lot of fun with this one and uh, I'm really glad he picked it I really am oh I, so am I because I never would have watched it again otherwise and I'm glad I did because I now respect it more than I would have I would have remembered it and thought oh yeah it's probably just some cheesy because that's the thing oh yeah I never I never would have spent the energy to go back and watch this no I, that's what I always say to you there's so many films I haven't seen but you know there's so much good stuff out there why waste your time with stuff you've already seen or mediocre stuff but I'm really glad I did too because let's be honest too when you're trying to make a cult movie that's when it usually sucks yes that you hit it right on the head when you try to make a movie that is a cult movie and I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head maybe something like uh, that was in uh, it's uh, the girl that plays Tara in this she's in a film called uh, Cannibal Women in the Avocado Jungle with Bill Maher actually isn't Bill Maher in that yeah I believe Bill Maher's in that and that's a film that knew it was trying to be a cult film and it kind of has cult status or like uh, Hell Comes to Frogtown that other film we've we've talked about in the past yeah. and I mean there's some films that just know they're cult films and then there's some films where they people don't get the the memo at all which is like uh, uh, the good example is i'm not going to do our you know end of the year worst list but i can tell you right now the worst film i saw this year was hellride and it was a film that i think they thought was going to be a cult film you know they made it as a cult film and it comes off as nothing but a shit film Trust me. So when you try to make a cult film, that's when you always fail. When you just make a film and treat it like like Tim Thomerson treated his performance in Trancers, <laughs> there Gold. you go. That's how you get a cult film. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Take it seriously. 
and show have your actors show up constipated, and you will be fine. Yeah, roll up your sleeves and get to work. <laughs> well, that's it for Return of the Killer Tomatoes, and we will go to break and come back with some feedback. Hello? Is anyone out there? This is Brother D. Is, is anyone else alive? You know, you'd think with all the zombie movies I watch and review for Mail Order Zombie over at www.mailorderzombie.com, I would have been better prepared for the zombie uprising. I mean, every week I'd watch anywhere from one to three zombie movies, and my wife, Miss Bren, would join me in every episode to go over listener mail and even occasionally join me in a review of a zombie movie herself. But now, we woke up one morning and the zombies have taken over. Miss Bren went scouting for supplies, but she's been gone a long time, so I went out to look for her, and now, now I just wish I'd stay home and watched more zombie movies for everyone, weeding out the good ones from the bad. What? Wait a minute, who's there? Miss Brent? You're not Miss Brent. Oh, oh no! Ah, oh, Send more podcasters. Ah, yes, the Bluebirds. You know, if I didn't know better, I'd say that was Dean Martin or Tony Bennett uh, on the vocals. <laughs> yes. Actually, it's one uh, Chuck Billy uh, from a band called Testament, uh, oh, old school stuff there. I've, uh, I know Testament. They've been around for a long time, like 80s, early 80s, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. They put an album out this year. Uh, Bill put out his top albums of the year, and Testament's that new album would probably been on there for me, but... I'm an old school metalhead, so what are you going to do? Yeah, no, I'd say, yeah, I remember that name. And uh, if I remember Tesla, who probably weren't quite as hard as... Uh, nice, <laughs> Tesla. Yeah. <laughs> had, some, uh, had some hits back in the day. I think I got some Tesla on the old iPod somewhere. I had a few tapes, I think, with some stuff of theirs on it. But uh, Nice, tapes. Oh, yeah, I remember the days of tapes. Mixtapes, baby. <laughs> yes. Oh, how the iPod has changed the world. Yeah, I know. All right, so we got some feedback to go over. And uh, I'll go ahead and kick over to you. We got a few emails and quite a few voicemails. So let's get it going. Okay, the first one is uh, very newsworthy and noteworthy for all you people frothing at the mouth to see Hands of Steel. And if you're not, you should be. Now, this is from Aaron. Hi, I just started listening to the show. Good stuff. I started with the Hands of Steel show. You said you couldn't. Nice. Yeah, that's a good one to start off with. Uh, you said you couldn't find it on DVD. Well, I have it as part of the Tales of Terror 50 movie pack from Mill Creek Entertainment. I'm a big fan of their multi packs. Anyway, it's a VHS rip, but a available nevertheless and he mm. sent us a link so uh yeah just look up uh tales of terror 50 movie pack from mill creek entertainment and you should be able to get this and i want to also second the love for mill creek sammy and i exchanged christmas gifts and he got me an awesome mill creek 50 pack that's got uh, tenebrae on it um i mean it's just got a ton of awesome stuff so you get a lot of bang for your buck i mean you're not getting blu-ray transfers but uh you get a lot of good stuff no no the quality is not great but the quantity and what you get for the amount of price you pay is great and the Really, the main thing is you get a lot of stuff that isn't readily available. I think the one I sent you also had TNT Jackson on it, which yeah. is uh, one semi diabolic covered. Which there is a there is a disc out there, evidently, because uh, DZ owns it. But uh, 
I've never seen it anywhere. So he must have just lucked upon that, really. And that was just a big score for him because I've never been able to find it anywhere. But uh, I did find it on that 50-pack. And, uh, I mean, I only paid $10 for 50 movies. And it, uh, TNT Jackson alone's worth $10. So. Oh, it certainly is. Uh, yeah, that's the thing. You get two or three movies, and this thing's paid for itself. Now, you know, you go and get this Tales of Terror one, you'll get Hands of Steel. And I'm, I'm sure there's going to be at least five or six other awesome movies on there. I think uh, Last Man on Earth is on there, the Vincent Price kind of I Am Legend story, which is actually the best version of I Am Legend. Oh. I've ever seen so very nice and that's that's a so there's two films right there that's definitely worth the 10 or 15 or 20 bucks however much it'll cost uh, I know you can get them really cheap on like Amazon through their used marketplace and stuff and get them like eight bucks for 50 packs so okay. definitely worth the admission but I really do appreciate that because now I am going to go out and purchase this uh 50 pack Tales of Terror because I did not know that was on there so thanks for that Aaron and uh, hopefully you keep yeah. keep digging the show um, yeah the next one is from Nick uh, hey it's Nick from NYC I just left you a drunken voicemail which we'll get to actually sorry about yeah, that we'll get to that I love the podcast i just started listening so sorry if all my statements are irrelevant but yeah if you haven't already you should check out drive starring mark dacascos i forgot to mention it but make sure it's the director's cut um so yeah that uh, thanks for listening nick and uh, don't worry about anything being irrelevant because quite honestly you can talk about episode one in a voicemail or an email on this show because really it's all relevant because it's whenever you find our show and you want to talk about it you know we certainly encourage that yeah yeah we certainly do and of course you know every episode somebody mentions that that's great news because that means they went back and discovered a film maybe that they never would have watched otherwise yeah so that mark dacascos one's drive uh we'll have to check that out i know i just picked up american samurai i think it was mark dacascos's film debut uh i got it on vhs for a dollar so nice uh looking to build up my dacascos back catalog and why not? Yeah, and why not? It's right. Um, I don't really have anything to add to that vo- uh, email. I mean, I'm definitely going to check it out. I know he's got a voicemail on here, too, so we'll react more to Nick here in a little while. Yes. Uh, the next one is from a very good friend of mine. He goes by the name The Lone Shark, L-O-N-E, uh, The Lone Shark. And uh, he says, good show, good content, and a who's who of listeners and on Pop Syndicate. Good job, guys. I'm trying to get caught up on your podcast right now, and I just heard you mentioned Paul Newman. If the topic comes up again, don't forget about the classic The Long Hot Summer. It was great and had Horson Wells with a fake nose to boot. Can't go wrong with that um if you guys want some atlantis of course raiders of atlantis style huckle chuckle material don't forget about steven seagal's new flick coming out against the dark seagal versus vampires i shit you not and a really special piece mr seagal has graced us with the path beyond thought i wish i was joking with all the or with the opening line delivered by the legend himself like many young boys i was drawn to martial arts for all the wrong reasons uh here's a teaser video to whet your appetite and it says uh, he calls himself he's sort of a bullet pointed uh timeline of the video he calls himself god says he was born a clairvoyant asks for the forgiveness of hurting sentient beings uh is sit is sitting on a rundown couch in a venue he's about to play honky tonk at later with a straight face advises the reporter people just have to hear my voice and they know it says enjoy merry christmas well, thank you for that, Sharky. I'm glad you uh, <laughs> chimed in. Sharky and I actually, most of my genre film since, well, before I got married, it was with him and a few other friends. And uh, we had a lot of nights <laughs> where we'd watch a lot of great trash together, a lot of Asian films. So I'm glad he's uh, digging the show. Yeah, it's great he wrote in. Uh, yeah, Steven Seagal, the further we go and to Steven Seagal, the weirder it gets. I mean, people always rag Tom Cruise and uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme for being a weirdo. Steven Seagal might be one of the weirdest motherfuckers walking the face of the planet yeah yeah <laughs> he has literally i think lost his damn mind he has and you know it's funny <laughs> that sharky there is the third person to mention uh, this seagal versus vampires movie to 
our show because I think our listeners, <laughs> they know us well and they know that that kind of uh, grade A trash is right up our alley. Yeah, and I can't wait to get a hold of that film. I mean, it, the trailer is awesomely bad. Oh, yeah. Uh, it just looks awful. Seagal is hanging around with a bunch of young people. He looks way too old to be hanging around with them. He's still packing on quite a few pounds. It, it just looks, it looks really sad in a way, but it also looks like it could be a bona fide classic. <laughs> it really does. And, you know, that's the thing. I'm really happy that people are, are they understand what we are, what we like, you know, and they're referring yes. the sort of, uh, sort of gold to us because it is something you and I would be keen on checking out, uh, you know, between that and command performance, the, uh, the Dolph Lundgren, uh, upcoming one that you told you turned me on to with the trailer that has the the incredible tagline dying is easy rock and roll is hard yes. um which looks <laughs> incredible uh i think yeah we're due for some lundgren and seagal uh, <laughs> very soon yes and uh, there needs to be more of these straight to video action movies that are just absolutely ludicrous there really does because uh that's something that's missing from uh modern straight to video stuff is that sort of crazy Stuff like, you know, stuff like DeCasco's films, you know, stuff like that, that, you know, like your American Ninja films and all those type of movies. I mean, there needs to be more of that stuff put out because you get a lot of straight-to-video horror crap, but you don't get a lot of straight-to-video action crap. And I was, I was always enjoyable, or I always enjoyed quite a bit, the straight-to-video action crap. A lot of good stuff out there. Oh, there certainly was. And it just seems like nowadays the sort of in-style thing for people to do with direct-to-video stuff is they'll get like a Val Kilmer or a couple years back they would have gotten a Stallone before he got hot again. They'll get sort of these prestige names and try and make it puff it up to look almost like uh, like it was a big splashy film like I just told you I picked up this one with Don Cheadle and uh, Guy Pierce. Uh, you know they make it look almost like a bigger film than it is direct to video I mean you get a you know a culty kind of movie throw it out there I mean you can go balls to the wall with it and not worry about uh, the censors or or you know theaters and everything else yeah you can get really get it under the radar you can get it you know and it can be not rated and stuff and you can really just kind of go like you said balls out you can really just go crazy with it and it's actually it's not a market even though it's it's abused and exploited. It's still not used right, no. in my opinion. There's still so much more they can do with it, and they just don't do it. So No, there's just... Hopefully hopefully they'll get it right. There's bad garbage flooding the market instead of good garbage. Yep, yep. We've got plenty of room for good garbage. Yes. All right, is that it for the emails? That is it. All right, we'll jump into our long catalog of voicemails here. This first one from uh, Sean in Chicago, the guy that we were supposed to do an interview for, but we were playing hard to get. <laughs> well, hello, Big Willie and the Samurai. This is uh, Sean from Chicago calling. Just calling to wish you a very happy holiday and a safe holiday uh, to you and your family. Uh, Willie and to your and your family as well and your, your new, uh, new addition there. And uh, I also want to say, of course, you know, uh, thanks for doing the show. Uh, you guys really get me through the week. And... Uh, I wouldn't be able to do without you and your podcast, brethren, um, with all the craziness that's going around this year. Um, just thanks for everything you do. I can't wait to, for you to hear you guys' thoughts on The Prowler. And uh, I know I'm going to give you another uh, request, but uh, if you could do some Paul Maschie Euro trash movies eventually, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind that. Uh, I would look forward to hearing your thoughts on that because he's one of my favorites. Maybe some Vincent Price, too. Anyway, you guys do a fantastic show. Just have a safe and happy holidays to you and your family. Have a good day. All right, uh, Sean. Uh, thanks for the holiday wishes. We really appreciate that, first of all. E- uh, I'll let you say. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I always cut you off, so go ahead. <laughs> I will say that uh, Paul Nashy, I enjoy him quite a bit too, but I am actually one of the few people I know who is kind of a big werewolf guy. I actually love werewolf films. I don't know why. I think it's the duality of man and beast and, and that whole, I mean, I think there's a deeper argument there that people don't explore. So uh, I'm actually a big fan of werewolf films. Now, that being said, Nashy films aren't really known for being very deep. 
<laughs> so uh, it's not that kind of werewolf movie, but uh, there is some good stuff in there. And I haven't seen some of it in quite a long time. A lot of it I saw on videotape. And I know they released a whole bunch of it on DVD. So uh, if you could, because my memory's not real good, and I can't remember what I've seen and what I haven't, because he puts out a lot of crap. And that can be said either way. That can be said as in abundance, or that can be said as in quality, because Nashi kind of is, is, is dodgy. Uh, if you could, send us an email or a voicemail uh, kind of recommending what we should cover as far as a Nashi film, because I'd love to do it, but not in the past 10 years, I'm not as familiar with Nashi as I used to be. So I've kind of got moved past him. So I'd like to go back and revisit him, if that makes any sense. I'd say it does. No. And I'm not sure if you're very familiar with Nashi at all. I know I think you know who he is, but I don't know if you're familiar with his films. Yeah, I'm very familiar with the name. I don't think I've ever seen any Nashi films, though, and I've always wanted to. I know, I think it's Horror Rises from the Tomb is the one that I'd always heard was really good. Yeah, Euro horror, other than sort of your Italian stuff of that time, I'm not overly familiar with. I've never seen, I don't think, more than a couple Hammer films. Um, Nashi yeah. stuff I haven't seen. Uh, Franco, just Franco, I'm familiar with to a degree, not very much. So, I mean, I'd certainly be game, and I also would want you to sort of steer us in the right direction. Let us know if uh, Horror Rises from the Tomb is good, where to start. Uh, as far as Christmas, thank you very, very much for that. I'm, you know, I'm really excited to uh, have Christmas with my son and my wife. Uh, you know, I actually bought my son a bunch of Green Bay Packers stuff and a little Johnny Cash Folsom Prism Blues uh, prison outfit, little baby sleeper. Nice. Uh, and a Jimi <laughs> Hendrix one. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a great time. Uh, you know, having a child again really brings a spark back into Christmas. So thank you for that. And Sean, I wish you and yours a very, very happy uh, holiday season and uh, a safe one. Yes. And we will try to get you a present known as the interview questions you sent us, I don't know, a month and a half ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll try to get on that, buddy. All right. So our next voicemail is from Fake Shemp himself. <laughs> this is his show. So here we go. Big Will, Sammy. Hey, it's Jay. I uh, just got done listening to episode 13. Good choices, good choices. Um, yeah, Truck Turner easily in my top five uh, black exploitation of all time. Uh, not pr- Might be down to five, could be four, I don't know. The first three are probably Coffee, Foxy Brown, maybe even get Christy Love in there. I have a thing for the ladies when it comes to the black exploitation. Um, so great choice, love that movie. Um, the Prowler, never heard of it. Uh, kind of excited, want to check it out. Uh, although I gotta, I gotta bring it up, guys. It really bums me out when uh, people talk about the start of uh, the slasher film. Which you know, I was actually thinking about that last night when I was watching Return of the Sleepaway Camp, which was rather enjoyable, guys. Um, but I, I get really upset when people don't bring up Bob Clark's 1973, I believe, classic top five slasher movie of all time, Black Christmas. I like it more than I like Halloween. Maybe not as much as Friday the 13th, because I'm a Voorhees kind of fella, but uh, I just, you know, you got to give it its due, you know. But uh, I'm really interested to check Prowler out, so great. And, uh, you know, can't wait for next episode. Uh, greatest Christmas gift ever. So <laughs> talk to you guys later. Keep the good work. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Nick from Again with the voicemails. Thank God for editing. Yes. (laughs) All right. So that was uh, Jay, or a.k.a. Fake Shimp, calling in his his opinions on a few things we covered. Uh, You know, that's a funny thing about The Prowler. It's actually true. A lot of people, even to this day, really don't know anything about The Prowler. Which is a shame. Yeah, it is a shame, really. I mean, uh, but, you know, I'm glad we turned some people on to it. I mean, there are, you know, a select few of us out there who love it, and uh, hopefully people will check it out. You know, I'm, I'm pretty sure most people will. If you're a fan of slashers, you owe it to yourself to check out The Prowler. Either way, going back to his argument about Black Christmas and Halloween. Now, I won't deny that Black Christmas is very influential on uh, the 
American slasher. Maybe not even as influential as Profundo Rosso or you know Deep Red Argento's film. It's it's hard to argue this. I will say that I know people get offended sometimes when people don't mention Black Christmas. I personally am a fan of the original Black Christmas. Uh, I like it quite a bit. I don't like it as much as I like Halloween because I think Halloween brought what the slasher needed, which was true filmmaking. Not to say Bob Clark's not a talented guy because I love Bob Clark movies. I mean, I love just about almost his whole filmography I love. Uh, matter of fact, there's a lot of Bob Clark on TV right now because of yeah. Christmas Story. Black Christmas, it always kind of gets forgotten, I think, because it's a little it's a little dodgy in spots, I think. And I'm not going to get into a full review here, uh, and I, I, don't, you know, I know you're not either, but it just doesn't feel like this well-rounded piece of... Uh, art that I find Halloween to be. So Halloween always comes up first for me. That Again, that's not to say, though, that I don't love Black Christmas because I do really like it a lot. Well, I may be blasphemous to say I don't think Black Christmas... I think it's it's all right. I think it has moments. I mean, it has Olivia yeah. Hussey, who you and I are both big fans of. I absolutely adore her. It has mm-hmm. the Saxon. Um, yes. <laughs> you know, it has a drunk uh, Margot Kidder. Um, well, Margot Kidder doesn't drink in real life, does she? Hmm... <laughs> It has some great moments in the film, uh, and it is sort yes. of the granddaddy uh, North Ameri- from a North American standpoint. I just, like you had said, Sammy, I think it's very slow in spots. And let's face it, you know, I love Bob Clark. I just watch, I watch Christmas Story almost every year. It's my wife's favorite Christmas movie. Um, Porky's, he did Porky's, yeah? Yeah, he, he did, did Porky's. Porky's, probably the, the, the classic 80s sex comedy, probably the, the top of the top of the rung there the quintessential one um mm-hmm. yeah it's a great movie it really is and black christmas is great too like i said that iconic shot with the bag over the head is one of the best kills mm-hmm. uh you know you're gonna see but i just think it's uh it's not the film that halloween is halloween to me is you know carpenter's a master Bob Clark's a very good sort of workman-like uh, filmmaker, but, you know, hey, teach their own. And uh, with that being said, Shemp, uh, I hope you enjoy The Prowler. I think you, you really will. And you know your stuff uh, with films, so I'm surprised you haven't heard of it, and I think it'll be a treat for you to go back and watch it now. Yeah, and always call in with the commentary, because uh, we do trust your opinion. Uh, we've had quite a bit of interaction with you since uh, we started the show and everything, and uh, we hope you enjoyed this show, too, since these were your picks. We hope you we hope you did we did you proud, and we hope we uh, gave you a nice Christmas present this year. Yeah, I hope <laughs> we gave you the, uh, the gentleman treatment you wanted. Now, I will just wanted to say one more thing before we get off him. I've never even heard of that Christy Love movie. Um, I'm not familiar with it at all. Uh, I do second the love for the exploitation females. Uh, both of us are big Pam Greer fans. I think she's just gorgeous. Even to this day, she's like fine wine. Um, have you seen that Christy Love yep. movie? or No, I've heard of it, but I've never actually seen it. Uh, okay. So, I know of the Christy Love character, but I have not seen the film. I'm trying to think of who that actress is. I think this argument was in was in Reservoir oh, Dogs. Oh, I think you're right, because and they're in the back seat and uh, uh, one of them says something about uh, Pam Greer, and then they say, no, no, it's Christy Love, because someone says it was Pam Greer, and they go, no, Pam Greer was in Foxy Brown, I think. Or wasn't that how it went? Or Yeah, yeah, something like that. And then they're like, there might have been a Christy Love, the TV show, or I don't even know. I don't know I don't know for sure, but there is an argument in uh, Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs about Christy Love, or that name is mentioned in there, and I believe Foxy Brown's mentioned in there, too. Yeah, I think when they're in a car, I think Keitel and someone are involved in that conversation, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's uh, it's one of those films I've always meant to catch, and I just never ever got around to it. So maybe we will catch it for the gentleman's guy. That'd be uh, nice. Yeah. All right. So we'll jump into our next voicemail here. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Nick from New York City. Um, I just listened to your podcast, uh, probably an old one. I'm catching up. I just started listening. But uh, I was listening to your view of uh, Brotherhood of the Wolf, and uh, I think if you guys like that, you should uh, check out a movie called Drive with Mark Dacascos. Uh I think if you see that, you'll have an uh, even better opinion of him. Uh, I think that uh, that movie stands up with, you know, the best Hong Kong movies of that era. So uh, you guys check that out. 
Maybe you guys talked about that already, but I just started listening. I'm working my way through the episodes, and uh, I like it. So keep up the good work. All right. That was Nick. And basically, Nick, uh, I think he thought that his voicemail was worse than what it was. But his voicemail and email pretty much give you the same information. But we thought we'd play it anyway since he said it was a drunk voicemail. Yeah, well, exactly. And we did talk about Drive, but it was only because of your email. And I think yeah, he had just mentioned that. Yeah, I hadn't even heard of it until... He brought it up, actually. Nor had I. Like I said, a lot of mid-90s onward direct-to-video stuff I'm not that familiar with um, because, like I said, I didn't feel it was very good. But this one, Drive, looks like one to watch out for. And, yeah, Nick just did that because he wanted to make sure we got the unrated uh, version of Drive. Mm -hmm. Yes, because evidently there... I'd be curious to see what the difference between the unrated and rated version is. Whatever it's violence, I guess. I I would uh, That's what I would assume. Yeah, I would presume. All right, so we'll move into our next voicemail. Now we're pumping through them here. Hey, just now this here waiting... uh... Now, just wishing you all a very Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, full of bootleg exploitation movies. I uh, don't think I've called you guys before. I'm smacking off lately. <laughs> um, off to see Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia at the British Film Institute nice. next year, early January. Uh, after you review, gave me some things to watch out for. I love OTC and Cinema Diabolica, but your show is the one that encourages me to see more films that would otherwise pass me by. So, thanks for really good show over the last two or three months um thanks a bunch for this much stuff bye all right that was old pal and buddy nautis from the boards yeah about time we heard from him i was wondering if we were ever going to hear from him i know it's kind of expensive to call over here from england so yeah i mean you could get a calling card i guess not that i'm encouraging him to spend money you know as if we're uh, the, <laughs> the, the cat's ass or anything but if you are <laughs> going to call and you want to call maybe get a calling card but i'm glad we heard from him because we hadn't heard from him and i kind of wondered if uh you know, if he dug our show, because, you know, there's some regulars on the boards that we're familiar with pre The Gentleman's Guide, and uh, it's good to hear from him. And we're really, you know, I, I take it as a, a big compliment that uh, some of the movies we've uh, discussed compel him to, to seek them out, because he knows his stuff. I mean, he really knows his stuff. Yeah, yeah, he's a great uh, contributor to the boards. He's been kind of absent lately. He kind of comes and goes sometimes, but uh, he's always good for a very entertaining board post, to say the least. <laughs> there's some really, truly funny ones oh, yeah. <laughs> that he's posted in the past. <laughs> yeah, there really is. Some great stuff. But, yeah, I I'm very flattered that uh, he finds our show uh, interesting over the last three months. Uh, it's a very big compliment for us, for the board regulars that we were accustomed to and we have interaction with before we started the show. For them guys to find our show interesting is really, for us, is like the ultimate compliment because we are one of those fans, uh, or we are, both of us are fans of OTC and CD. That's how we met. That's how we got the show going. Uh, so for the regulars to come over and say they love our show, uh, really, really hits home for us that we're, you know, we're putting out a pretty good product, I guess, so makes us feel really good and i am extremely jealous that he gets to see bring me the head of alfredo garcia on a big screen as am i as am i and I, before i forget because we're busy sort of puffing out our chests here i do want to wish you a very very merry christmas well uh, let me ask you now just if you call back are they doing a doctor who christmas special over there or what <laughs> let me know what's happening and uh also message me if you get a chance there's a show i wanted to ask you about uh, kung fui uh and merry christmas again yes merry christmas from the gentleman's guide as we would like to say. Yeah, if you can't get us through the PM, uh, just send us an uh, email over at midnightcinema.gmail.com and you can uh, you can uh, contact us that way. And just let us know if you don't want us to... If, if, if any of you guys ever want to just contact us and don't want us to read it on the air, just let us know. We won't read it. Yeah, just put that in the beginning, like asterisks. Uh, this is for your eyes only or, you know, yes. whatever the case may yes. be. This is for jerking off only. Yeah, masturbatory <laughs> purposes only. <laughs> There we go. I send a lot of emails to myself for that because <laughs> I'm naughty. Yeah, exactly. All right. <laughs> All right. So we got one more voicemail. Hey there, Willie and Sammy. It's Matthew Zaka. 
just wanted to call and talk about Chuck Taylor for a minute. I I had been looking over that movie, or I kept seeing it on my Netflix, and uh, I kept passing it over. But I must have looked at it like four or five times, actually, over like the last month, which is kind of a coincidence that you guys uh, covered it. Um, and then when I saw you guys were covering it, I threw it on my queue and watched it after I listened to the episode. You guys gave it really good reviews, so I checked it out. And I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, there's a lot of things in it that I really liked, but I don't want to talk about too much of them because a couple of them contain spoilers, so I'll stay away from those. But... I will say uh, one scene towards the beginning was uh, great when uh, well, I just hit puberty. Um, <laughs> when that older dude is in the back that they had caught and he's talking all that shit to Chuck Taylor and he's using racial slurs and shit. And uh, Chuck is like, I'm about to fuck you up, dog. And this guy's just like, oh, yeah, you're pretty tough when uh, I got handcuffs on, right? And then, like, in an instant, it fucking goes to the next scene and Chuck is just beating the shit out of the guy and he's all unhandcuffed and shit out in the fucking field. Like, they pulled over somewhere so Chuck could beat this dude's ass with the handcuffs off. It was fucking awesome. Um, another little thing, too, it was, it, was a, it was a scene. It wasn't a scene, but it was more like a, a, a quick thing that happens. And it's when his partner, Jerry, they're at O'Hara's house. And uh, this girl comes over, and she's got this low-cut dress, and she's very healthy, drinks a lot of milk. And Jerry's just staring at her boobs the whole time. And uh, she looks over at him and catches him. And he just looks up with this shit-eating grin, <laughs> smiles at her. And it's like, it's okay. You know, she doesn't give a shit that he's looking at her boobs. It was just funny. Like, his smile was so priceless. You know, he was just so happy to be looking at her boobs and her not giving a crap about it. Um, also, I love Dick Miller, too. It was nice to see him in it. And I know uh, one of you had mentioned that. He was great in Gremlins, which he was awesome in Gremlins, and Gremlins to the new batch. Don't forget, he was great in that. Um, but I, I always loved him in uh, Demon Knight when uh, Billy Zane tricks him into, I guess he kind of succumbs to the boobies and booze that he loves so much, and he's just having such a good time. It's a funny scene in that movie. Um, now that's all I really got. Uh, keep up the good work, guys. You guys have been doing such an awesome show. Um, you guys are covering some great movies. Uh, I don't know. I don't really have anything else. I'm sure I'll call you back sometime soon. Take it easy, guys, and have a good holiday. Peace. Ah, good old Matt Suzaka. Yes. <laughs> the one and only. Uh, yeah, the one thing about Matt's uh, voicemail uh, it was we thought was kind of amusing, and we're not making fun of you here, Matt, but uh, it was funny that you called the movie Truck Taylor. Uh, we thought that was kind of funny. That sounds like a <laughs> porno riff on Home Improvement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Chuck Taylor, or Truck Chuck Taylor, Truck Taylor in Tool Time. Yeah, in Bone Improvement. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There you go. Uh, he, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there, that is a great scene, and I almost made my make or break scene. That scene where he's I'm about to fuck you up, and he pulls over and handcuffs the guy, and then you get this really weird fight sequence where Truck Turner's just kicking the shit out of this guy. Oh, it was it was <laughs> a great, great scene. There's so many great scenes in Truck Turner, and the thing about our review is, is we had to be really careful because we really want people to see it, and the, a lot of the greatest scenes in the film are spoiler filled, and we couldn't give them away. And uh, I know I've spoken with Matt since then uh, through instant messaging and whatnot, and uh, we've talked about probably the most spoiler-filled scene, and we had a good talk about that and stuff, so more people need to check it out, and we don't care if the listeners want to spoil it. If they want to call in and they want to spoil it, that's their thing, but, you know, we'll warn people if that's the case, but there are some really great scenes and uh, that are very spoiler-filled that we couldn't give away. Also, I don't think Jerry was at uh, Uhura's house. I think he was at Scatman Crothers' house when he was looking at the lady who drinks a lot of milk. <laughs> oh, doesn't Scatman drink, um, I forgot to mention this, didn't he? He drinks, like, um, a creamy mint uh you don't see those drinks anymore that bottle of mint liqueur yeah i don't remember what it's called but i think that was at that was a scatman crothers house because they had the kind of the big heavy set woman and she kind of had the she was falling out of her the, dress and jerry was looking the heaving bosoms mm-hmm. yes and he likes them big so but you know nothing wrong with nothing that. wrong with that at all so yeah matt just keep calling in but uh yeah truck taylor 
is is an awesome movie. <laughs> it is. Uh, and Matt, we're happy that you're better. Um, so keep getting better. He's very happy. And um, say hi to your fiance and Merry Christmas to both of you. Although this may yeah. or may not be up by the time Christmas is here. Yeah. But hope you had it. Might be a day later, a dollar short. But either way, we do want you to get better and stuff. And uh, it sounds like you're on the road to recovery and you're doing well. Yes. And we're glad that puberty is working out so well for you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're glad it's finally kicked in. Yeah. It's taken a while, but we're glad it's finally kicked in for you. Exactly. <laughs> All right, with that being said, I'll go ahead and play this. All right, Gentlemen's Guide to Midnight Cinema, episode 14, done and in the books. I would like to say thank you guys for uh, tuning in, definitely. Uh, I would also like to say, you know, make sure you guys check out the... Uh, the other websites, or the other podcasts, I should say, over at popsyndicate.com. The uh, Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema is over there, also, which is our show. Also, make sure you check out our sister shows, which is uh, you know Outside the Cinema and Cinema Diabolica. Check out all the other great podcast shows over there. Uh, podcast shows. So check out all the other great podcasts over there. I recommend uh, all the Pop Syndicate shows. Also, make sure you check out Chinstroker vs. Punter. Chinstroker vs. Punter.com. Destroy the Brain. Destroy the Brain Online.com. And also, don't uh, don't forget about Mondo Movie, because uh, that's a good one as well. So make sure you check out those shows, guys. Uh, our voicemail, 206-666-5207. Our email, midnightcinema at gmail.com. You can hear me fumbling through the uh, outro here uh, a little bit, because I'm uh, I'm lost. <laughs> and I'm just trying to fumble through it, but hey, I'm not a professional radio host. I'm just a guy who likes movies. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> I want to mention that next week we are going to, or next week we are going to be part of the OTC end of the year spectacular with Cinema Diabolica and OTC and I believe Chris from uh, Are You Serious podcast. Uh, we're going to just do like a top ten list of like a cumulative top ten list of films we all like this six, past year. Top six, yeah. Oh yeah, top six. My bad, not top ten. Uh, if I forget, Bill and his damn number six. <laughs> Every time he asks me for six, I always give him like seven just to piss him off. Yeah. So. <laughs> That, that, that's what we'll be doing next week. And the week after that, we are actually got a pleasant surprise for you guys. We're going to be covering uh, a film I chose that we actually both managed to see somehow, which is uh, JCVD, the Jean-Claude Van Damme film. So that'll be the week after next. And then uh, Will picked the film himself, too, so I'll go ahead and let him say what that is. Yes, I'll try and do this very quickly because this episode is running absolutely long. <laughs> it's a Japanese film called House, or Hausu, H-A-U-S-U. This film has been basically called Beetlejuice if directed by... Dario Argento if he was Japanese it's supposed to be wow. just insane I got my hands on it and if some of you are having some problems finding it let me know email me and I'll tell you where to go to get it alright and uh, we're going to run out of time here but we do have another thing that we'll want to mention before we uh, cut it off yes uh, very quickly Octane uh, I do stand corrected Rosemary's Baby came out in 68 not in the 70s so thank you for that and mm-hmm. um that's pretty much it. I know you also mentioned Sammy not to worry about making jokes about people in wheelchairs. To be clear, he didn't. It was just sort of a thing that he thought that if someone got pushed over to a wheelchair, yeah. no one would get offended. So thank you for that uh, reassurance <laughs> nonetheless. And thank you for the correction on Rosemary's Baby. Keep us in check. That's what we need. Yes, and please don't forget ggtmc.com. That's all you got to type now. No more lips in. And, and vote for us, Podcast Alley also. And if I can find anything else to throw in here in this epic long voice uh, podcast here we have going, then I will find it and throw it in there. Did we mention <laughs> Paracinema? We didn't mention them at the end, but we mentioned them at the beginning. Uh, uh, so there you go. But Paracinema.net and HorrorCommentary.com and just about everybody else. Jesus Christ. And the, and right. the QVC Network. Jesus. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Leslie Nielsen. I have no idea what that means. 
But with that, all that being said, guys, I will wish you a fond farewell and adios. Have a nice Christmas. Merry Christmas and adios.